Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan here with Kai, and today we got a uh, we got a wonderful guest for you guys, Mike, uh, Mike's Monitors, Mike Stefani. So we're going to get into some fun topics. Of course, we're going to touch on Mertens, and uh, we really hope you guys enjoy. But we want to again say thank you to the Morelia Python Radio Network, and uh, you guys need to check out MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Again, they got awesome information there. Whether you're into uh, monitors, pythons, field herping, uh, just the kind of the the culture around uh, reptiles right now, check them out. Get on that website if you want to support us uh, or support any of the podcasts or what the NPR network is doing. Go ahead and look at the Patreon. Uh, check out their their store they got on there, and uh, check out the other podcasts. Okay, so with that being said, we'll jump right in. How you guys doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. Man, uh, oh, this is uh, Kai here. Um, and thanks, you guys, for tuning in again. Um, we've got the legend, Mike Stefani, on today. I appreciate um, that. I don't know about that. You know, as a, as a, <laughs> a living legend, you know, you get to experience um, just so many guys throughout the years. You know, some guys, they – maybe grow apart but uh me and mike have grown together and this is in a sense where he's been someone that i've always looked up to as far as work with the indicus complex uh the rare you know the harder stuff basically things that most people aren't tackling uh, mike's doing um so you know we for, for me growing up watching him through the forums you know, now on a normal basis where we talk to each other weekly, possibly even daily. Um, these are like one of the forefathers or like pioneers of the game from when we were young. I think I was like 14 or 15 watching some of his successes um, just through the forums and and really just amazed on what he was able to do. And now, you know, now 15, 20 years later, I myself am following in some of his footsteps. And so... Uh, it's great to be able to have Mike on as far as what he's been, been able to contribute to the whole reptile community, the monitor community, and all that stuff like that. You know, it's great to see guys grow up with this thing and and um, flourish with it, you know. Um, thanks, Mike, for, for coming on. Oh, yeah, really no appreciate problem. You. I appreciate you guys having me. Now, um, we're Mike. Yeah. I mean, Mike can kind of cover everything because he's doing <laughs> – He's doing dwarf monitors. He has, he's done the indicus before, you know, the peach throws before. Um, he's done tree monitors before the the Salvador complex with Kamingai, white throats. I mean, the list kind of just goes on still. But we're here to talk about Merton's water monitor. A little bit different. Um, basically, an Australian species, really gorgeous. And back then, before... Uh, Mike and a couple other breeders really like got it cracking on on this species. It was quite kind of hard to find Mertens, but you know now it's like he's got a thousand of them. <laughs> I, I, I put out. Let's see, in in twenty twenty, I put out forty nine. I forty nine babies went out last year. I think yeah. I got. I think I got like four or five. 14, 13 egg clutches cooking. I just, I just pulled one out uh, yesterday. As a matter of fact, thirteen eggs. Nice, nice, and, and very nice. Now, how how big are your adults? I, I see, you know, a lot of 
misinformation or more so of when I see adults or maybe they're not even adults, right? They're probably just juveniles in the wild. Yeah. But yours are stacking. They're like four feet, no? Yeah, they're, they're, they're right at four feet. And my males and females, there's no size difference really. Uh, other wow. than you yeah. know, gravid females are just they're like footballs. Yeah, man, that's 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 nice. Now, um, how many total adults do you have? Uh, I have one point two, and I held back. Uh, I held back five. So wow. it's and it's that's actually amazing. they're they're just over well they're a year and three or four months old now and. And it's looking like I'm, I have 2.3. So that's nice. That's what I'm hoping anyways. Nice. And, and then you chose, and now as far as like their look, they're, they're, what, what these animals look like is there. Don't get me wrong. When I say brown, uh, it's, not, it's not muddled at all. It's right. a really nice brown. And then with a bunch of little, little stars, or little dots everywhere that are multiple different colors. What did you choose with? Well, um, as far as what you liked and what you wanted to, well, my adult male, he is, they're really, the pictures don't do him justice. And of course I'm shooting with a crappy cell phone camera, uh, cause I, I'm <laughs> low tech, but whatever. I do my best. The last ones I posted on Instagram of my holdbacks, those were some good photos that shows more of their true color. They're more of a olive green darker green gray uh green brownish color uh their throats are um lighter and real yellow on the sides of the throats and my yeah. male he's um he's heavily flecked with gold and my females are absent of the gold so what i did was i held back the babies that i held back were the best of the ones that i hatched and uh some of them are their, their fleckings are uh, not as numerous and uh, they're getting bigger that, you know, their dots are no, I wouldn't call them flecking no more. Now I would actually call them dots, which yeah, yeah. in, in, in my hopes, I'm hoping I could do a low dot count and a higher dot size. So almost like polka dot, if, if I could, yeah. I remember there was uh, an indicus, uh, um, a little indicus. It was black and it had yellow dots all over it. And man, that thing was beautiful. So if I could get something similar to that out of these Mertens, I'd be a happy man. That's what, that's what people like. I mean, out of yeah. all the stuff, they love big spots, yep. big circles, big whatever. They could be many colors, but the yellow and green spots are are big big thing for people especially if they stay and they're adults like the for example that um uh the that water monitor the guru line oh, that that is big, yeah. those big spots with the contrast right yeah that's, love that. that's a beautiful um, and, you know same thing with my mangroves they really like that whole look too so that's what i'm trying to achieve with the kai island to keep the big spots basically pass on a high yellow mangrove monitor you know, right in a sense yeah right. well but, uh, for me it's those blue lips man those oh those yeah, lips. yeah. Just, <laughs> blue bars. yeah and you, yeah. Know, you know coming from up here in the midwest where i'm at as a kid i would always catch garter snakes and you know i still to this day i'm a big garter snake guy i i you know as far as pythons and boas and all that stuff 
I'm a Calubri guy. I love desert, yeah. I love North American desert ranch snakes, and I love all the garters. Yeah, snakes. and yeah. they're all the good stuff. The, the 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 blue painting on their lips, it it almost looks like like teeth, like a garter snake. It it, it yeah. looks like teeth. So, you know, Mertens, when you look at their face like that, they look pretty, uh, you know, uh, intimidating. I've never yeah. been bit by one. Yeah. I mean, feeding accident maybe, but just to reach in and pick them up, they they don't bite. They're just not prone to bite. (laughs) I could imagine the kind of look they give you. It would just, yeah, there's something about that face. The same thing I love, I think, would just kind of intimidate me a bit, you know? I I saw the ones that I think you sent to uh, um, JTK here in California. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, they're not in person. And I mean, I've never, I've seen a couple at the shows, like they were really big and kind of dirty. You know, you didn't really see, they're basically brown monitors, right? Right. You couldn't mm-hmm. really tell that they had any color. But when I saw the the juveniles and sub-adults at, at, uh, at Brian and JTKs in Long Beach, um, man, they were gorgeous. They're yeah. just so different. And those, and, mm-hmm. those went out to him yeah. on the coldest day of the year here in Wisconsin. It was I was so worried. You, I see you worrying all the time, Kai. I was yeah. really worried about that package. He got it. The heat was good. And... Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle out there to get things. I mean, I, I ship all week, and I should be used to it, but I'm really not. I mean, I, I take care of these monitors, and I cherish them, and I really wish they make the whole process, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, if I didn't have to ship, I wouldn't, but I kind of have to ship because, obviously, I just can't make – cross-country treks all the time so right you know i wish everybody was closer but you know we have to ship and just make sure that we're basically bracing ourselves for all the mishaps that have been happening lately and uh, man i'm glad everything that you've been sending have been making it i've had a couple hiccups not luckily nothing dead yet but man Kimberly's sitting in FedEx for a whole week. Yeah, to that's the, scary. Dude, yeah, I'm just as worried for your animals when I see you post that. I'm like, oh, man, that ain't good. But, you know, yeah. I never – over the years, I never had problems like until 2020 when the COVID hit. And, yeah. You know, and the only thing that happened during my shipping – slowed everything down. It, yeah. No, I, it just – I kept hearing of, um, you know, maybe – Maybe, 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 and nothing ever. I never had a hiccup yet, so that's been good. I, yeah, I heard of a few guys that I know having some, you know, dead animals, but man, it was a little scary. You know, there was a couple weeks where people were just saying, "Hey, don't ship if you can avoid it. Don't ship right now." I was going through every detail, like yeah, from me, and then okay. The layover, if you're not in this within the same state and you're, you know, you're shipping across the country, there's basically a layover state. And there's only mm-hmm. about two or three locations, and that's Indianapolis and Memphis. Memphis, right? Memphis. Memphis. So, <laughs> yeah. they, they both can be bad, really depending on which storm comes in and then yeah. how they freak out about it, right? Yeah, right. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in lucky California, so I don't really get to deal with all those harsh weather, so I shouldn't really be speaking. But, you know, snow and all that stuff like that. It's basically slowing everything down. Yeah. And we are at the mercy of FedEx, regardless yep. of yep. whatever yep. we try to do, right? I can basically try to pinpoint everything down, make sure 
the temperatures are all on like 48, 50 degrees and no lower, you know, and then yeah. nothing higher than like 80, yeah. 80, 90 degrees. And if it is, we have to basically make sure that it's buffered for that heat or cold. Um, but yeah, man, the, sh the shipping stuff has been a headache lately. I, I mean, but it's a learning experience that we all need to go through. So, yep. you know, um, right. if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be as in tune to shipping on how I am now. You know, and now it's like, all right, that's a, that's a piece of cake. 40 degrees, that's nothing. You yeah, know? no. Um, it's, it's when it's 90 degrees, we're not shipping. Yeah, you know? no. I, <laughs> you, you probably have more of that than, than I do because, yeah. uh, you know, our summer here is only like three months. And, and you know, maybe maybe two months of it is, is like how you guys are, up in the 90s or higher. And it yeah. sucks, man. I don't yeah, know how yeah, you guys yeah, do it all the time. We just basically tell people no until it's a colder day. Yeah. No, I mean, just personally waking up and walking out the door. Yeah, <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah. My little uh, my little temperature thing says ninety six on my computer right now. Yeah, oh, yeah it's hot up there. It's, it's hot. Like okay, well now and I've actually been having great success with all my monitors, right? And um, you know, I just this is just we'll get back to Mike in a second with the MERS, but the cold weather here so it hasn't been getting more than 80 something more like 79 and and there's a crazy forecast every day so there's tons of clouds basically it's all humid humid now and i actually haven't been going through that hot weather just yet and everything is breeding like it's just my mm -hmm. my season's been prolonged just been prolonged by by the weather being like this but let's say if it was already getting to 90s and 95 every day 100 degrees every day i really don't i think they'd be more stressed than anything you know yes yeah, definitely so. mine are, are all the australian stuff's going uh still and it it seems a little stressful the uh the indo monitors seem okay with it too um but the the snakes man they <laughs> they don't like it so much yeah so yeah. uh i'm being creative with them but uh yeah it's definitely, you know, I walk in there some days and the <clears throat> my main concern is actually the incubator keeping temps down because if it's 90 ambient across the board in, in the cages, um, they actually don't seem too bad. As long as it's cooling off at night, I think, which it is, um, uh, they, the Australian stuff's running around like, you know, it's, it's their summertime. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it works out for them. So you, Man, I, like, I, do you, you have air conditioner in, in the house in the summer or no? I do. Um, it's in the warehouse, so I can control it a bit. So uh, except for the days that get over 100, on those days I have to turn stuff off for a little while. Yeah. Uh, usually between like 3 and 7 o'clock I have to turn stuff off. But other than that, the air conditioner keeps up well enough. It's just those times when things can get up to like 90 plus degrees, never, never over 95. It's right between 90, usually 93 at the hottest uh, ambient inside the, the, the cages. But um, <clears throat> so that's only been, I think one, two days so far right now, but we're still got a lot of summer to get through. Yeah. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm really looking at the, you know, um, getting the Wi-Fi installed and getting those smart, plug so just on my phone i can turn lights off let the uh the air conditioner run and then turn them back on come seven o'clock or whenever i want to turn them on and right kind of yeah. get high tech with it you know I'm, <laughs> glad, I'm glad you guys can do that i'm old-fashioned i i don't know how to work all i wish i did actually 
but I still do the same thing too, Mike. Yeah. I'm not like uh, hooked up my wife. I more so if because if the Wi-Fi shuts off, that sh- that stuff's not working. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so right. I basically True. have everything in ch- just how it would be. Luckily, I'm home quite often, so let's. <clears throat> I'm not turning on every light manually. I'm not that old school. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, right. Things are hooked up on timers and they're hooked up on temperature controls. But um, but really, that's it. You know, I have everything just uh, on on that normal system. And then kind of worked out just like how Alan was mentioning, like at seven o'clock. Uh, for me, that's when it's cooling down. So some lights are actually going on. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, all the all the stuff that's on an inverted day and night cycle. And that means basically my lights are on at nighttime right. and they're off during the daytime when it's really hot. And so, you know, if they're on during the daytime, they basically be shutting off all the time and then they never get to bask. Right. So well, they actually need that full that, period still. That's why but, when, when, when we, you know, you know, with me and you go way back, Kai, and, and even yeah. you too, Alan, but through the forums, it's like, <clears throat> I remember when people used to say, Oh, well, that guy lives in the desert or that guy lives in Texas. That guy lives in Florida. It's like, you know, I like you, what you guys are talking about right now is blowing my mind because the way I've always done things up here in the upper Midwest is, you know, I, I just the way I control my house for my own temperatures, I work my room that way. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like in the summertime, the wife's got it like a Morgan house. So I actually put on a little space heater down in my room because uh, mm-hmm. I'm in the basement, but the ducks are all in my room. So that cold uh, inadvertently, it cools my room down. So it, nice. it's kind of like the opposite. So in the summertime, I run a few extra space heaters because of the air conditioner. And in the winter time, yeah. when we got to heat, we heat our house with uh, wood. So we, we have a wood burning mm-hmm. stove. We rarely turn our furnace on. So um, I'm, I might have the space heater on on the real cold nights, but at a low setting. But it, it's it's crazy. It's a little different, but it, yeah. it's, it's so hard. Like, you know how it is, Kai. Both of you guys. Yeah, that's the, that's the key. So, like, right now, um, anybody that's dealing with extremes from the outside temperature, whether you're going to deal with cold or you're now with cold, you're basically turning on the heater, balancing out that that uh, <clears throat> that cold that's coming in through, or the draft that's coming in through. But heating, or sorry, cooling down a very hot room, that's just a little bit hotter. Now, if you don't have an AC unit, or like a really great um, ventilation system that's pulling hot air out, then you're gonna need to work on that, and that will be a something that you're sacrificing and putting in place as an investment to control everything yeah. because mm-hmm. if you were to be working against the weather so much, you wouldn't be breeding at all because things would be either too hot or too cold. And then you'd have your somewhat balance when the weathers are transitioning, but that's only a couple months. If you were to keep it steady and then you kind of, what I say is be more strict on when temperatures are the certain, I mean, it's, it's really vague to say that, but you know, at, Wintertime, I'm balancing out with just enough heat so that way my animals aren't going and kept hot all wintertime. So I'm actually utilizing the wintertime as my cooling time period. And so I'll have a little bit of heat going, but it's still, you know, it's it's changed now. But let's say when I get into spring and summertime, uh, I'm not I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed because the weather is 
it's kind of warming, but it's not really, really hot yet. You right. Know? You see, and now, now up here in this, in where I'm at, it's almost, it's, that's why I was, the point I was getting at is from region to region, like if I bring my monitors and I move to California, well, I'd be lost, man. I wouldn't even know, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really know what to do. From scratch. Right. But here, yeah. I know the seasons, I know the weather, and I know how it affects my animals. So it's kind of the opposite for me here. The winter time, yeah. I put my room a little hotter just because, like, I'm in the basement, so the ground gets cold, and so I got to yeah. up my heaters. And then in the winter, but you get you get snow though, so you're at like zero almost below zero sometimes right and yes yeah so we're we're not even that cold here right i think we're still at 40s and 30s so in a normal household to get to 60 is not that hard but when you're at zero to get to 60 is is hard yeah (laughs) i I use a few space heaters i use uh the you know the radiator ones the plug-in uh and and those are really good for putting a base temperature in my room though i mean you can feel my concrete well they're all insulated but if yeah. you felt the walls even with no insulation on it uh in the summer i mean in the winter time with you know Still my good. my supplement heat it, it's it's cooking in my basement you know and that's yeah. probably the key to how you have just everything exploding it's it's just the fact that you're consistent with what you have going on you yeah know? um and it's not just fluctuating at the mercy of temperatures outside right and um with that's what I, that's what was going to lead into my next question okay. because you have so many different species well, i think i asked you this before do you work with them all differently like or you're just kind of doing plug and play with all the same math work all around like i know monitors you know your 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 nesting options are quite the same and stuff like that but you know, your all your animals require different humidity levels, and or are you keeping them kind of the same? No, no. For the humidity levels, it's this is like a labor of love for me. When I go in there, I say manually, but I use a hose. I have a sink and everything hooked up, but I manually spray everything down, and and I like doing that because you know I, I'm in there with them, and I could yeah I could feel the humidity if it's too much, if it's not enough. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I noticed with the, um, like, my Ackies, the first, the first couple times I caught them breeding, uh, man, I, I, I really, I need to, to learn them better. I have a female down there right now nesting because I've been keeping a real close eye on them because I lost a couple of clutches. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just a matter of I, I, I need to learn how to read those. Like, it seems the, uh, the more tropical species – I could read a little bit better than these audatrias, which, you know, yeah. it's kind of tough to say too, because the, the King Orums, man, those things literally, they throw eggs at me. Yeah. <laughs> like little rabbits, right? Yeah. Just yeah. At it. I just, today man, I just man. pulled a five egg clutch out of there and, and these things, are, Oh man, these things are like maybe nine inches and it's yeah. like six eggs was the biggest clutch she ever laid. And it's like, Damn, I don't even know where they put them. I mean, they're big and blown up, but when they come out, it's right, man, there's yeah. no way. But they they lay huge clutches. Well, for them, anyways. Right. And now, as like, okay, getting to back back to the merns. Yeah. Now, when your like your enclosure for the merns alone, 
it holds a lot of water. Yeah. And so that that humidity is driven yeah. to like really high, right? That's and that's then, self-evident. That one there, yeah. there's no regulating. I never spray it. Um, yeah. I moisten the nest box every now and then, but my, my nest box system is really good. It's <laughs> a 70-gallon, one of those um, Laguna tubs, and I have um, – it's a three-part system. It's, it's a, a back piece. And then a front piece, and then I have a, a basking ledge, all zoopoxy, and it's zoopoxy over uh, pink insulation foam. So all the heat <laughs> and the humidity, it just that 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 nest box is it's self-regulating. Every now and then I have to add a little bit of water, but it, it creates its own heat. Yeah, the heat don't escape, and it, it literally I, I could depending on how much water I put in there you can see the water just dripping from the top because of the insulation. Wow. Very nice. Yeah. So that's all it is. I, I didn't realize that's what you're doing yeah. was just the zoopoxy over the pink insulation. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Now, are when you say pink insulation, are we talking about the uh, yeah. the loose, like, matte infil- insulation, oh, the, or are you the, talking about the board? Yeah, the board, the pink panther. The board. Stuff. Yeah, the board. Yeah. Yeah. And I, okay, I just want to believe the one I have is only, like, a half inch thick. Nice. And <laughs> I now just you... bought some of that stuff to go around my incubator. I bought the inch thick stuff. Yeah, I heard, yeah, I heard that. Uh, I like it. But so <laughs> the Merns enclosure, uh, like you said, three hundred gallon water feature, humidity. <clears throat> I I don't even know what it is. All I know is when you open the glass, it hits you, man. The humidity and the heat. Those those animals. <laughs> I'm telling you, my water temperature is 82 degrees. That's the coolest in their cage. <laughs> so, wow. uh, and I have I have no uh, real places for them, uh, you know, other than being in the water. Which they do spend a lot of time in the water, but other cool, I mean, the, the other cool ambient temperatures other than the water is probably about 85, and then you know, mm-hmm. and hang out is literally 95. I have a uh, the back wall where my nest box is, there's a ledge way up on top. My females, when they're gravid, they'll go up there and they'll sit. That's just ambient is uh, like yeah. 110 and they, they love it. So yeah. I tell people all the time when they, you know, when they ask about, you know, uh, Merton's husbandry and uh, man, I just tell them you keep that shit hot, man. I mean, super, <laughs> super hot to where, I mean, you you wouldn't think an animal would enjoy that, but man, they suck it up. Right, they suck it yeah. up. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. I would good, say man. the the sand monitors are the same way. I just I've tried it. I've messed with their temps a little bit, but um, yeah, they just like it hot. Yeah. And of course, I open the door and I'm like, oh man, you guys are just sitting in this. So I've tried to lower the temps a bit, and their behavior changes. Yep. You know, they're not as active. So kick the temperatures back up and just let them ride. Yeah. Well, that that was the key to mine when I had. When I had my um, my original pair were from the UK. Um, that female died at two years old, and she was gravid. The nesting I haven't changed, so I, I don't think it was a nesting issue. I think maybe she was a little young, uh, but she passed away at any rate. Then I got lucky, and I found these two German females from a guy up there by you guys, uh, Bob Rodney. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah. good dude, man. I like that guy. Yeah, he was getting rid of those for a long time before I I, I, was, I told him to message you, dude. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Like, uh, I think he bought them. 
And, you know, at that time, at that time, the numbers of Merns were very low in the U.S. Maybe just a few of them and the stragglers that were around. Well, think about this. I got a pair that I got from John who imported them from the U.K. So when my female died, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, like you're saying, they were rare back then. Oh, you know, just a few years ago. I was like, man, so... Where am I going to find more? I was in a panic. And then when I found those, you, you know, sent them my way. Um, he kept saying, that's the male, that's the female. We went back and forth for about a week with pictures and videos. And the one I had was obviously a male. I mean, he's hung like he's he's packing. Yeah. <laughs> so when he, I'm like, dude, I, I, I don't see it. I said, you know, and then he showed me some courtship behavior, which I've actually seen since then. It's not courtship at all. It's just dominance behavior, but it, it yeah. looks exactly like, you know, uh, courting. Right. Um, right. My female I mean, each other. Right. And to differentiate that for people listening, it's very, very subtle signs that basically tell you what is what. Yeah. If you're getting a lot of little head twitching and, you know, it's kind of uh, back and forth, the female is basically not running away, right? And she's not fighting it. That That is much more like hoarding to be breeding. Mm-hmm. But if it's just uh, straight mounting, slightly biting, and or without any of the sweetness in between or at the very beginning, and what I mean by sweetness is the little tongue flicking, all the little head switches, all those things are, are lined up with each other. Now, if they're locking up like just the one time or – I mean, yeah, it'll basically be sort of like rape where he's basically just pinning them down and he's uh, and even inserting them. And it can be done also with the female to female and female to male. She'll she'll pin them down and basically, um, yeah, make them feel like not a man anymore. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, um, uh, to differentiate those two, that'll basically be very short lived. And the, the courting, what would look like courting would be done right after they've asserted dominance but if it's continuous and they're still doing all the head twitching and it's quite gentle and they've gone continued day to day that's much more according to breeding so yep. you know there's there's quite a few details but you you know a lot of people just assume and even myself that any type of mounting was directly breeding which it isn't no. you know not at all so that's what can always throw people off when sexing and it can throw people off when trying to resell or, you know, determine what's what, uh, for me, when people ask me to sex stuff, I just tell them to wait until it lays. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. My, I, my <laughs> famous line is if, if, if it looks female, I'm like, that's either a female and they're like, Oh yeah, great. I'm like, but wait a minute. The story ain't over yet. That could be, a male, <laughs> you know, right. Like, because when the male's <laughs> mature, there ain't no mistake in it. Is you know what? Yeah. As long as you, if you know what you're looking for, and you have a male and a female, it's obvious. If you don't, if you have like these two female Mertens that I got, I mean, dude, their tail bases were like this when I got them. They were they were huge, so it was kind of hard to see, you know, hemipenal bulges. So I put those two females in with my male, who was way smaller than than those two females. Well, the one that we thought may be a male, he was a, the, the bigger of the animals. Um, my male went in. My male went in. As soon as I put those two females in there, he went in for the smaller one. The, the bigger one came over 
and she was, you know, herky jerk in her head, and they were sparring. And then yeah. uh, my male jumped into the water, and he swam around for a little while. And when he came back up, because he, he, you know, he he's been a little while without no female, so he jumped back up on the land. And when he did, he found the the smaller of the females that I, you know, I was quite sure was a female. And then this other big mama Luke, it comes over there and they're doing the, you know, they're pretty much, it's almost getting ready to do like a a combat. And, um, and then I seen that big, I thought was a man, I wasn't sure it opened its mouth and I said, no, no, that ain't happening. So I took that big one out. And I put it in my uh, under the under the stairs enclosure. It's kind of like a holding enclosure for separating males during nesting. And yeah. so when my original male went to that little female, and he was just all over her. They were courting, and then he locked up with her. And when I seen everything was cool with them, and they were locked up, and they were in the water, everything was good. I went over and I looked at that other animal, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, man. I don't see this as a male. I just don't see it as a male. So what we're my wife's crazy dog lady. So we're real close with our reptile. Not we're with our dog vet. He don't know nothing about mm-hmm. reptiles, but he'll let me go use them. <laughs> you know? So I said, Hey, very nice. Yeah. Real nice. I said, Hey, Dr. Chris, can I, I want to x-ray these. So I went, <laughs> I x-rayed them and my male had to, the, the hemibaculum bones in there. And uh, uh, the RFDI chip or whatever that's called. So mm-hmm. that was pretty cool to see that chip, too. And then I x-rayed <laughs> the one that I knew was a female. It was a female. And then now I'm like, I'm in the, I'm in the x-ray room. I'm doing a happy dance with that lead thing on. I'm, I could barely move. I'm doing a happy <laughs> dance. I said, oh, would this be great? I put that other one on the slide. Boom, two females. I, I was... Man, I can't even move like that, but I was moonwalking. I was doing all kinds of shit. <laughs> I was happy. Man, I love when uh, we go to the vet and they put things together for us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, not even them, the tools that they have exactly. put it together for us. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I'm getting that ultrasound soon. We just got to save up a little bit more for it. And then I can take the guesswork out of everything. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You, you put on there, you got to eat lean for a little while because you're buying that thing. And them ramen, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Them, them ramen noodles look great, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Shit, I'd eat. What was on top? What did you Dude. cut up on top of those, that picture? It was a, uh, it's a, there they make, there's like Asian rolls, right? And it's uh-huh. just, it's just like a meat sausage picture or, or more like a gyro, right? It's basically, yeah. You ground it up meat and then it's formed into a gelatin paste, right? And then we just cut that into slices. Hey, it's I was like, all about uh, that. Yeah, it's like cheap food, you know? <laughs> hey, man, it's, uh-huh. it's good, though. Sometimes yeah, it's good. Uh-huh. It's good. It comes in pork or fish or shrimp or, yeah, it's uh, the one that was I was eating was fish. <laughs> it was great. It was great, though, you know? Oh, uh, I've had that. I like fish cake, basically. Yeah, it's, it's fish cake, you know, in a oh, roll. Okay. You just cut up, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, I great. know what that is. Ooh. So you know, that's my uh, that's my budget food for when I need to save for stuff, you know. And um, <laughs> we'll and, have to do an episode on budget food. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're still eating for your money. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah. about? I just had a pizza puff. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know our animals eat good, but we don't. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, you know what? I'd be a lot healthier if I if I ate like my animals. You know, geez, Batman right? And shrimp. And yeah, uh, quail eggs, the bloods. <laughs> I, I can't do that though, man. No way. 
No. Yeah, I was telling Kai right before we started uh, over the the chat that I got. It was supposed to be delivered tomorrow. I'm glad it's here today, but like you know, a lot of money and rodents just chilling on the floor, along with those crickets you saw in the background over here when yeah. I was holding them up. Uh, yeah. It is food day, and I can't, you know. Yeah, now that I think about it, I need to treat myself a little bit. You know, I'm I'm at that point in my life. I'm an adult. <laughs> my animals eat good. I need to. I need to worry about me just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Bless you, man. Hey, thanks. Um, Allergy seasons. <laughs> I'm coughing too. Yeah, it's killing me. I actually can't even be outside right yeah, now. Yeah, I feel like, bad for you, Kai. When you do all that stuff, I'm like, you. Yeah, and I, I have to be as active as I can. Like, I have to still be active and do everything. You know, hit the road and go here and there and be outside. And, and even when I go and catch grasshoppers and stuff like that with Dean, right. And we're actually hunting new species and we're, he's like, yo, you have to go through this bush. I'm like, yo, what? Yeah. You know, one time, one time, I think it was like a, almost two years ago, you know, a crazy grasshopper story, right. We're in the Mojave. It was 105 degrees and you know, we're just baking. And he tells me there's grasshoppers in this tree and you need to throw, <laughs> you need to get them. Right. And the only, these, the, the, these nimble branches weren't able to just pass. Like, so I wasn't, <laughs> anything, you know, and I basically was just launching rocks into this tree and having Katie dids and grasshoppers fall out. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> man. It was nuts, you know, and Dean's, Dean's kind of skinny, so he's not, He's not going to launch no boulders into the sky. Right. And so it's kind of like my job since I'm a little bit more huskier. I'm just just, just tossing these things into the thing and, and hoping a grasshopper would fall down so I can stop doing this. That is <laughs> so know. funny. Yeah, man. So, I mean, we have like a, like a switch type stick. Oh, uh, man. We're so unprepared. When you go through the, through the desert, you basically have to walk with limited equipment. So I got this three foot net and a little water bottle. <laughs> that's it you know any anything more anything more in the desert you'd be just carrying so much or i mean that's how i felt well you, you gotta know? put a little note in your pocket say my name is kai fan if you find my skeleton <laughs> right yeah just tell everybody just tell everybody you know and uh i wasn't ever expecting that and that's that's kind of how you know, we we got to all the grasshopper stuff, and uh, you know, I can't wait for you guys, your 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 Mike, your your monitors to enjoy some of the ones that you're looking to do yourself. Um, I think it'll change your 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 diet a ton, your necessity for certain things. Yeah. Um, like for mice and crickets, uh, will be a lot less. You I, I don't know, use a whole lot of rodents. I mean, maybe okay. maybe chopped pinkies, uh, and yeah. that, that, that's only for the smaller, you know, the audad. Are, are you using chicks more often? I use a lot of quail, yeah. I use a lot of quail and pheasant and then their eggs. Yeah, so it's I think quail is, quail is supposed to be very high vitamin A, right? Yeah, I, you know what? I really don't know. I, I just know that uh, they love it and it, it works good. Yeah, yeah. I use, See, uh, I use chicks and mice a little bit more as well. Yeah. I'm kind of to the point where um, I – been looking into raising my own quail out here because you know keeping them outside year round it's it's something that i i could do pretty easy make, make the kids do it make right your and kids that's do exactly it, it. so yeah. um uh do a little garden area where we can you know kind of use some of that do some compost 
and then and then the quail eggs. Maybe some. I've been looking at some small varieties of chickens too uh that are pretty prolific yeah, and get them little bantams and stuff like that i believe yeah all the yeah the smaller chicken yeah yep and believe with with not only the monitors but the snakes man i could uh i could really save a lot doing that and probably eat pretty good myself we could all yeah uh, <laughs> hey, from <laughs> farm to table yeah you know, right <laughs> my, my son has a lot of um ball pythons he's really he's he's 16 and he really he's really into the ball pythons and um sometimes when i don't have rats available i say give yeah. quail and they they eat it oh awesome yeah they eat the it. picky ball pythons you hear that ball python people you hear that yeah <laughs> well i mean they, they should eat anything you shouldn't restrict right. them to just mice right They're, they should be lizard eaters as well they should be eating i mean so many things that they could possibly eat in the wild, right? Yeah, but all right, back to monitors. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah especially uh, I don't want to upset nobody. <laughs> yeah, let's get off. I'm just kidding. Pythons. I'm just kidding. So, uh, <laughs> you know, now, all right, now back to your the variety of species and just the amount of you know thought that goes into different ones. I'm already not not on top of each other and confused but it can get there if oh, yeah. i'm confusing what i need to do with the kimberleys and what i need to do with my mangroves you know um although i kind of keep them all similar now um i have mild humidity i actually don't keep anything too 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 dense right they get to go into burrows though if they need to um and i'll, I'll have it spiked a little bit but my humidity all comes back down to 50 60 and 70s whenever i spray it, you know maybe back up a little bit but see now i could i can maintain 50s without spraying that's just the climate yeah. here you're a lot drier right i'm super dry right and Same here. My, my, my balance is you know if i were to be in a really humid place then i probably wouldn't have to do it so much but um for me here I have that ample amount of soil, but without so much spraying. And it's, that's kind of how I, my monitors like it. Uh, to be honest, I kind of keep them in a, what I would say, like a scrubby woodland type look feel right. rather than even if they are, you know, mangroves from some dense jungle or shoreline and marsh water and things like that. I'm just keeping them not, not bone dry. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, right. But they're the deep in the soil is definitely moist and the nest bins are definitely moist. And the burrows are definitely moist enough, but the surface just looks dry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how. Yeah. Well, my Kimberly, my Kimberly <laughs> and my Pilbarensis and my King Gorums and my Ackies too. My Ackies have um, 18 inches of uh, sandy soil, so they could get down right. there. No problem. But my, um, the Pilbarensis, the, the Kimberleys and the, uh, and the King Gorums, they're, surfaces are really dry they have moist retreats but not whole cage nesting or whole cage uh deep substrate like i do yeah. for the other species yeah. mm -hmm. so i just got my uh man you know what i'm a big mama luke i i i got <laughs> my first clutch of ackee eggs okay i'm digging around like they're coming eye eggs and i'm gonna pull out this <laughs> chicken egg and my son goes, oh yeah dude there's eggs right there so while i was yeah while i was digging you know i'm scooping they come like, rolling down yeah i'm throwing <laughs> i'm throwing eggs out so you know 
I'm getting, I never dig like this anymore. I dig like this. Yeah, yep. I dig like <laughs> When I pull those, yeah. uh, when I pull those um, King Gorms out, the first clutch, man, I didn't even know they were there. I, I did not know they were there, but now I'm much more careful. And thank God, like I said, thank God those things really throw out the egg. So I just hatched out one leucistic. My 1.2, they're wild. Nice. So that, that's a surprise for you, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I was sitting on, oh, geez, I had to have about 10, 12 eggs and nothing had hatched yet. And I'm yeah. just thinking, man, you know, would this be great? Because, you know, I didn't really know, and I still really don't know the answer to this question, if the leucistic kingorms are naturally occurring or if this was a bred trait through the hobby over the years, I don't know. Um, never really got a good straight answer from it. I've heard some people say, oh, no, there's leucistics in the wild. And and then I hear some people say, no, there's not. So apparently mm-hmm. I have a, one of my females or both in my males. One of them, two of them are hats. So. Yeah. And nice. That's, that's quite common because, you know, the what they say about all the Daughtrio that are here. Um, the 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 bloodline and stuff like that is Shallow, a little bit a little bit weaker. It's the the it's uh the blood, the pool is small. Right. You know, we talked about this with quite a few different species. Um, Alan and I have talked about it with uh, the the sand monitors and stuff like that, where you know they have the tri crosses, and now we have to differentiate the ones that are here are what's what. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But we basically get we still got like it's you know we we have to work with what we got, you know, and that's the best of what we got now. Yep. Um, it is the nominate species there. It's not like it's just some crazy hybrid. It is the species and integrated between a couple of different types possibly, but regardless, it's the same complex or the same animal within that complex mixed together. Right. We just kind of have to differentiate. <laughs> right. You know, um, I remember um, going way back, like after my peach throats and, and the tree monitors. I had gotten a, a trio of flavorufas and they were beautiful. I just assumed they were pure flavorufas and I posted a bunch of pictures and um, Croc Doc, Dr. David Kirshner, he said, are you sure? I'm like, uh, I guess you can't really. I think so. So yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I just wanted to say, don't bust my bubble, man. I'll uh, Let me believe that. Let just let me do it. So, yeah. like, um, you know, I'm kind of getting a change of heart on that because um, Alex, he showed some, and, and you too, Alan, showed some really nice sand monitors that are probably a high percentage of flavorufas. Mm-hmm. But right. those ones that, um, you know, like yours are really nice. I've seen others that are obvious hybrids. And then um, that Alex um, from Sim Container, man, he's got some friggin' beauties. Beauty. Yeah. yeah. And you can tell there's a difference. Mm-hmm. The size when it's born is different. Yeah. Argus are born huge right. compared to. Um, now, the back pattern, there's much more matrix and cream and all that stuff like that on the Flavi. And the Argus is just a bit different, a little bit more darker green yellow spots yellow spots um, you know yeah and there's the, the the big trait that i like with the um with the full flavorufus is the the yellow end of the tail 
Yeah, and yeah that, red eyes, there. man. I just—it's just—it blows me away. They're beautiful. Yeah, and again, that's like, that is what I'm going for. Yeah, well, we could talk, but like you, guy, <laughs> I'm I'm right now. I mean, I've actually I gotta make sure the old lady ain't listening. I actually <laughs> I took up another piece of the basement now, so now now I, I I started out with like a third of the basement. I think I'm at a half now. So, but that's it. I can't I can't I can't take no more. <laughs> we'll Wait till everything is actually flourishing. Right now, yeah. right now, half of your stuff is in infancy. Yeah. But let's say if everything hooked up, there'd be no space. Well, you know, <laughs> going back, going back to uh, you know the old days when you know the breedings they happened, they were kind of sporadic, and you know I was a younger man, I was working plus doing this. And my family, I raised eight kids, so we needed money. So when I had babies yeah. and people, you know, uh, offered me money, I sold, you know, my hatchlings. But now yeah. I'm not in that position anymore. So right. as soon as these Mertons started kicking ass like that, I built a bunch of raise-up cages. So now I'm yes. not pressured if, you know, and they're, they're a lot yeah. of money. But you know what? They're a lot of money, but – that's a great animal. It, it's if you keep them properly, man, they're just so yeah. interesting, so cool to watch. And you know what? If if you're into it and you know what you're getting, you're going to pony up the money and you're going to pony up the money for a nice enclosure. And trust me, when you put those things in a nice enclosure with a great water feature where you can watch, I mean, even if you don't watch them under the water, it's nice to watch them because they do so much stuff underwater. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Man, Nobody who's bought my babies and listened to my advice on building a nice water feature like that has ever said, oh, these things. No, everybody loves them. I mean, what, what's not to love when you take a, um, a quail egg and you, you hold it up over the water and the thing's going like flipper coming up out of the water? <laughs> I mean, there's like a shark. Yeah, it's just they're a lot you of know, fun. The people I yeah. talk to, we myself included, um, there's so many people out there that absolutely love Mertens and it's that one deterrent is the water feature. And I say it's a good thing actually, because we don't want to keep an animal like that in substandard conditions. But that dream, I think for a lot of people is to have that huge enclosure, that immaculate water uh, feature where you can see your animal just, you know, displaying those behaviors. I mean, you're right in the sense, like what what is better than that? Yeah, that, that, that's hard awesome. to beat if you do them right. Mm -hmm. So much action now. See, my I I hate water. I hate moving water. I mm -hmm. I like spraying water and then have water evaporate. Yeah, that's my yeah. favorite. <laughs> so, um, but you know, in the future, if there's if there's not more people doing Mertens and getting on board, we could end up in that same familiar space where it's like, where'd they all go? Oh, well, there's one on this side of the, the country and one on that side of well, the country. Well, you want to know, you know? something? It, where you guys live, if if you, like Kai, that, that I don't know if that was your parents' house with the with the pond out in the yard where you used to have the college kids come and clean up. Oh, yeah, that was actually a whole camp. Uh, so what I did is I used to volunteer at my old, old uh, old campus right and where i went to high school um and basically i took care of that pond even when i was going to school right i was just uh you know turtles were going in there that i that i 
helped uh, rehome and they were, you know, they ended up at my feet. I basically turned it into a whole sanctuary. Yeah. Um, well, if, and, if you and, were if you were able to put yeah. a screen house over that and release some money yeah, in there, I thought about that yeah, a million you know, times. They, I, I think they, they never let great. Me. <laughs> I, I even told them I was like, you know, I can bring my animals here and have a have an outdoor setting. She's like, yeah, until one of the kids put their fingers in the cage and gets bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Feeding yeah. time. That's that's a that's a danger. Feeding time with the Mertens. Yeah. Other than that, they they don't. I mean, they might hiss and tail whip you if they're pissed off, but they don't. They don't yeah. bite, man. They're real reluctant to bite. If yeah. things go well over the next few years, it is something that uh, Mertens or something that I, you know, if someone I, came and did my back, my head. <laughs> if someone came and hooked up my plumbing in my enclosure for me, had the thing already worked out where I can just uh, um, use a power head and have water sucked out into the street, right? And then I can just hose it right back in. I'll do it. Well, but see, if I'm shoveling I, buckets. I, I'm um, I, my whole life, I've, you know, fish, I've always been a big part of what I do. I always like cichlids and community fish tanks. So I'm real familiar with that. So I wasn't intimidated by what I wanted to do with the Mertens. And yeah. then I started with some Eheim filters, which were kind of a pain in the ass, you know, um, yeah. not so much uh, being fouled out what? by, um, uh, you know, waste and fecal matter, but more like from the um, sand and stuff like that. So my my wife she owns a, a tropical fish wholesaler they they sell tropical fish to all the pet shops in the area and they have dry goods and stuff and um, a company called Oasi came from Europe they've been in in Europe for i don't know about 30 years or so and when they came i was talking to the guy and he's like oh you know that's really cool you you know because i have a decent sized presence on social media. He said, you know, if I give you a bunch of stuff, will you push my product? I'm like, if your product is good, I will. So I started talking to him about his product and being a turtle guy, everything, you know, to heat water with a fish tank heater with um, turtles or Mertens, you know, that glass, you know, they make them titanium now, but the glass heaters from back in the day, Man, they break them. You reach your hand in there. You're getting mm -hmm. jolted. You're worried about your animals. Okay, so in my head, I always said, if somebody could make a canister filter with a heater in it, and I wouldn't have to put a heater in the water with my animals, this would be great. This guy tells me, he goes, oh, we do that. I'm like, no, really? He goes, yeah. And the problem with the Eheim is, okay, every month, I'd have to break down that whole filter, clean that whole stinking thing out. And now the, 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 I quit. <laughs> well, no, I, I was, I loved them too much to quit, but it was a pain in the butt. So he told me, he goes, Oh, well, we have um, a biomaster filter that has a pre-filter on it. So literally rather than taking out from underneath my, cause everything's hidden underneath my enclosures. So you can't see none of the plumbing or anything. So Rather than taking this whole giant, I mean, they're, they're big. They're probably eight pounds full of water. Uh, bring it to the sink, rinsing all that stinky stuff out. Now what I do is 
once every two weeks, I, I, there's two switches. You flip one switch off, it cuts the water off. You flip the other switch, and then you pull the pre-filter out, and it has um, six little sponges on it. Take those to the sink. It's it's like holding a can of beer. Take it to the sink, rinse it all out, put it back in there. I have not cleaned these filters 100% in a year. So maybe once a year I got I like that. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. Like you say, the technology is advancing and everything. I'm not yeah. really in, you know, I don't really do too much with all the technology, but what they've done with their filters, man, it, it makes it, it, this is easy. It's not, yeah. you know, and, and like you were saying about powerhead pumping it out to the street. So I told them, you know, I was talking to him and I'm like, yeah, you know, I use a shop vac to get some of the, um, some of the, uh, the, um, the weight, not waste the, uh, uh, bedding or, or yeah. nesting material off of the bottom. Cause it, it made the water real cloudy. He goes, oh, he goes, no problem. He goes, I'll have you something here next week. So he sends me, it's called uh, the, the Oasi Ponda Vac 3. And what this is, it's it's like a shop vac, but it's a two-stage pump. So it draws water in, and then when this one fills up, it expels water while this one draws. So it's bump, 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 bump. Constantly. Constant. No empty in it, no turning it off and emptying the bucket. It's so nice. It's so easy. So, it, it, you know, when you are thinking about this stuff, look into the Oasi products, just Google them up or whatever, man, you'd, you'd love their products for, you know, just about anything really fish. Yeah. Well, anybody that's trying to, that's listening, that's going to be getting into, you know, possible water features. Cause you know, me and Alan, we always support like, the simplicity cages because most of our cages aren't fully decked out like how mics are but you know if you want to get into that this is this would be something where yeah you're, it'll be it'll hook things up for the rest of your cage because you know you can have all the great water features and all that stuff all you want and it'll look really pretty but if it doesn't function and flow really well that'll right. just all be a disaster right right and, and, um, and with that said like my uh peach throats and my coming eye the way they crap in their water, not even these Oasi filters would work with them because they, they would overload it. You know, biologically, they would overload it, you know, in a couple of days. So for the, yeah. those guys, it's drain, rinse, and fill. You know, that's the easiest yeah. way. Yeah. Right. That's why See, what I do still. Yeah. For me, I, I think where my head goes, and this is just daydreaming <laughs> stuff, but instead of – trying to do Mertens if I ever got into it inside. Um, Cause at the warehouse right now, I have no real way to drain it. I would almost have to have a drain installed and it's not my property. It would just, it would be a mess. Um, plant the garden, possibly plant the garden for Kai with lettuce and then pump the water <laughs> into that. Right. Right. Yeah. Who burned with one stone? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's what I no, but at the house doing something like it would basically be an outdoor area where I would um, almost establish. I mean, it would be an outdoor greenhouse, but with the idea that Mertens are going to be kept in there yep. and it would be a year round thing. And if they couldn't utilize it during some times of the winter, I would just provide them a, a hot box, something to that effect. The water temperature might be too cold for that time of the year. But then as soon as, you know, we kick off into spring again, yep. um, get back to it. And that's, 
I would love an area that's kind of, um, yeah, a mixture of a greenhouse with Mertens, but to also have the kind of water volume, I guess, the amount of water in there outdoors, because I, I would have the space there, that it maybe I could implement some different ideas into how I clean the water, filter the water, just because it's so much more water than I could do inside. Well, the, but just like anything else, the, the more volume you have, water, dirt, anything, just everything is easier. It takes longer for yeah. things to go bad and break down. Yeah. So, I mean, even if, like, I used to live in Florida and I had a 10,000 gallon pool. Everything was, that was all automated. It ran on timers yeah. and it would back rinse itself. I'm telling you, yeah. you know. You know, what's, 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 what's crazy like um and like how you're just saying right in my big when i used to go to the pond i used to take my monitors there and the thing is that like how he's mentioning when my monitor would take a a, a crap in this big pond and i would just let it right all the bluegill all the small fish were basically mm -hmm. it. it's gone in, in two minutes all the fecal matter has disappeared and then what's left is just small remnants that is no longer a really big threat. And then don't and so, forget you got snails, crayfish, yeah. all that other stuff in there, bringing right. it all down. Like, right. like my Mertens enclosure, I have, I don't know, I have, I have nine Denisoni barbs, which are, they're just absolutely beautiful, cool fish. They're like little torpedoes. Actually, they're not little no more. They're about four or five inches. Um, I have some fire mouse in there, uh, zebra danios, some, you know, little upside down catfish. And, um, yeah, it all works together. It's, it's a biological, um, you know, even the water itself is like a, like a bioactive thing, just like mm -hmm. a fish tank, you know. So it, yeah. it works out real good. Now, it's other ideas, because I have thought about this. Like I said, it's a daydream of mine for specifically Mertens. But, and I have no background in water any background in water, uh, all things water. So would you, in that situation, could I almost put like a, um, some type of grid in the water at a certain level so that I have a, a, I don't know, a foot or two space that I could put and keep safe other types of fish that would help break down or treat the water themselves kind of bioactively. And the, the purpose of that, basically that mesh layer, um, hardware cloth or whatever that I could actually submerge would be to prevent the Mertens from getting down to the, that, that level of um, fish or whatever I would use. Is, is this making yeah, any sense? It, it that... makes sense. And, and trust me, when I first built this cage, um, you know, I love fish. I love cichlids. And then these Denisoni barbs is a species I never kept. But when I seen them, I was like, shit, I got to get me some of them. And then my wife, she sells them. So, um, I figured that eh, they're very expensive fish. I mean, if you could think of a freshwater fish, the, the ones that I, the size I have now wholesale for about 90 each. And I have nine of them in there. Started with, started with a dozen. That's the fish with the little proboscis, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful. And they're, they just swim around like torpedoes, but you know, I was worried that they were going to eat all my fish. And, and as long as you keep them kind of well-fed they're not going for, you know, those, those Denisoni barbs and a fire mouse, they're not stupid fish. They're not, you know, they they get preyed upon in a wild. Now the zebra Danios that I put in there, they're surface dwellers. So uh, in my, in my uh, Merton's water feature, I have one shelf that's probably 
four or five inches that's underwater so they don't have to deeply swim. They can rest. And, man, it is so cool to watch these things. Like I'm telling you about Mertens, they, what they'll do is they'll go on that shelf and they'll curl their tail around, and then their head is over here. And when they trap all the zebra Danio here, they just go oh, boom, cool. boom, boom. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The zebra Danios are only a dime a piece because I got to repeat. That reminds me when I was raising a now monitor as like one of my first monitors ever, right? I, I was volunteering at a pet store and I, I had a tame it. And we're just feeding this thing in a, in a, in a, in a, in a big tub, like a kiddie pond, right? And we just throw in, throw in goldfish. And I would watch this, just like what you're describing, I'd watch this monitor lizard use its tail and basically create a little pond where the tail has now been a barrier right. and the fish are trapped there. And then all he does is, is just move his head swaying in, in, in within that circle and grabs the fish as they, as they tap I'm its I'm loving this. Yeah. I've never, never even heard of this behavior before. So right now you guys are blowing my mind. You know, that, that's, behavior, I, I've gotten so much awesome. different behaviors from my Mertens photographing under the water because of my window and stuff. That's one, that's one uh, behavior I haven't recorded yet. But I'll get it. I'll get yeah. that film. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, we don't always get to see stuff like that. We get to see digging. And we got to see, though, that the like when people show the tree monitor reaching into a pipe and grabbing food, you know, right. behaviors like that. But, you know, you never get to see. We get to see charge and grab and, sure, like some Komodo grabbing some monkey or whatever. Right. You, yeah, don't, that's, you don't see much that's of the nest. That's, that's right. Yeah, but we don't get to see the little intelligence that are so subtle like that all the time. And, and, and you know, when you um, think about that too, that's a learned behavior that they've perfected yeah. over the years. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's embedded. It, it's embedded. It's and, actual, and, yeah. And that's why I yeah. say to people, you know, right. don't cheat yourself and don't cheat your Mertens. Mm -hmm. Give them a nice water feature. Offer them fish and air. Put when 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 my babies hatch, I put them in a in their raise up cage and I get, um, I, I go shrimps, you know, they're like the clear shrimps. Yeah. I throw yeah. them in there and they just go crazy. And these things, I mean, as a human, you could barely see them, but they smell them out with their tongue. And yeah, they just that mm -hmm. foraging and hunting behaviors. It's so cool. Cause, cause those, um, I start, I start my Mertens off real simple. I, I keep them in a, like a 40 breeder exoterra. And then I'll just uh -huh. I'll take one cork bark that goes from one side to the other. I drill one inch holes in there so I could keep my eye on them. They feel secure, but I could still you know keep my eye on their health and stuff. And yeah. and then one piece of uh, cork bark in the water where they can kind of get in and out. And those ghost shrimps will go in in the the little crevices of the cork bark. And man, you can't see them. And, and I'm looking at my baby Mertens, and they're just you know. They got their looking <laughs> in there, and I'm like, man, he's after something. Yeah. And then he'll they'll pop his head up because they 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 won't eat underwater. They always pull themselves up. So like that one video where they're eating the krill, they'll grab the uh -huh. krill, and then they basically the water's here, and they just come out like this until they swallow it, and then they go back underwater. It's crazy. That's so awesome. Yeah, oh, man. You know, there's a guy um, out here still. I think I've talked to Kai about him. Actually, Mike, he was back on the forums. Uh, ben Aller. Oh, yeah, him? I remember Ben, yeah. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, Ben, uh, he's used to breed monitors. I don't know if he's still into it, but he um, he did some good work with doom rules. I mean, to 
multiple generations yeah. doomerol monitor. He was killing doomerols. Um, oh yeah, but uh, he, as far as I know, he's still doing like kind of the um, zoo enclosures and yeah. different zoo places. Fabrications is the company. What is right? Zoofab. Yeah, Zoofab. So um, it and holding on to that, knowing that he's still close by, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, it's a daydream. But to have that huge water feature, just that huge amount of water in that outdoor greenhouse setting, and then to be able to kind of put some like, uh, you know, how the the mangrove trees yeah. grow and have yeah. that exposed so, roots growing so into the that. water. Yeah, you, yeah. Like okay, Mike, Mike now, Mike now offers the material, right? But yeah. Um, Dude, okay. So what it is is you're gonna you're gonna carve your foam, and it's crazy how they make this thing, right? Because uh, I've actually been studying this myself on on making mangrove tree myself, obviously, because I'm a mangrove guy. But you know, I obviously <laughs> always wanted to have a mangrove set, like an actual mangrove setup in my enclosure. But that's never that's never gonna be there until I make it fake, you know? Right. I'm yeah. trying to learn how to do it. And um, Dustin I got, Royal, I got all kinds. Yeah, he he's really good. Yeah. He's great. And so what, what I've learned is he's using pool strings or they're the the the, the noodle. They're the styrofoam pool noodles. Pool noodles? You know what? Yeah. And, okay, the pool. And that's it. So you've got your foam cut out as your trunk. And then the, the, the pool noodle is along the lines. And then it's basically covered with uh, your Zoopoxy or whatever you're applying. There, there's also and a then, product on the market. You can get at any hardware store. It's called Baccarat. It's for like filling in gaps around windows and stuff. It's, it, yeah. you know, and you can get it all different sizes, really small, real. So you can make roots of different yeah. sizes and really make it look like, um, you know, a mangrove tree where they could get in and right. out of all that crevices and stuff. It, oh man! It's just a matter it's of your a, imagination, you know. If you got the yeah, and thinking in your carving head. it and then applying it, but my, Mike offers all that stuff. Yeah, man. yeah, and the stuff so, I offer I'm just is really cheap, and it's um, polygem zoopoxy. It's great stuff. It's it, I'm a concrete guy. I work concrete my whole life, um, and I know what's in concrete. There's lime. There's lye. There's all kinds of not good stuff for the environment and your animal yeah. and fish plants. So when I found out about this polygem zoopoxy, you know, Steve Sandin turned me on to it and, um, you know, totally non-toxic once it's cured, hard as a rock, it's beautiful yeah. stuff. And like I said, you can use stamps to, to texture it or carve it. I always carve it with a little scrape yeah. of wood I've, I've found. Yeah. People use sponges to add texture yeah, to use, the wall. Yeah. Sponges yeah. to add texture and I went out and bought, I spent $40 on this sculpting kit. All these, <laughs> all these cool little things in, in, in the polygem. Yeah. You, you, when you're working with polygem, uh, Zupoxy, water is your best friend. Because as long as your hands and are gloved and wet or your tools are wet, it won't stick. But if it's not, it'll stick to anything. So I bought all these, <laughs> I bought all these tools, $40. I'm cutting with it. I'm carving not real happy with the results. Everything's sticking. And I was like, screw this. And when I, I just got done building an enclosure and I had a, like a shard of wood, it, it almost looked like a feather, you know, it was, um, you know, real long on one end and short. It was like a feather. Oh, you're just pressing yeah. into it, huh? I still have that feather. I still have that shard of wood. And that's my tool. That's my go-to tool. All those money I spent on that crap, I use a scrap piece of wood. <laughs> It works great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that's that's the that's the idea of it, and 
it's like 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 they say it's the figment of your imagination man if you can yeah you can dream it you can do it it. yeah i want to make like shelves big mushroom shelves not not the actual ones that come out of the ground but the ones that are on the tree yeah like you know i think they're called like um oyster mushrooms or something yeah yeah they're basically come off like a shell and most of what you see now is that same mushroom oyster shell thing but they have little crested gecko cups in it it's the very same thing i want to make one bigger though right the whole thing and just said it i mean that'd be really nice but man i haven't you know you inspire me because i want to do like more obviously give my monitors more right i'm yeah i'm more hooked up right now because i can't do the the stationary settings where if i hook it up on the zoo poxy thing that's going to stay there you know right now I, I love the transitioning of of material still like let's say i have to move a in the same cage it's a four foot monitor or a two foot monitor you know the materials and the spacing will be a little bit different right and so I, I love the idea to change it but there's going to be times when I, I want to do just a dream enclosure for for like a dream species you well, know? and even when you're ready kai i got a big show coming up here in schomburg at the end of this month i'm getting a big load of polygem zoopoxy so when you're ready and you want to try some you know send me your address i'm sure i have your address uh and i'll send you like a court you could play with it and, and you know try your yeah. you know try your hand at it and the vox on it is very low right i can there's, do it there's no yeah there's no vox no, at all no vox. yeah that's great yeah. so it, for the community that's looking for you know using tools like epoxy resin or dry lock that we use or garage paint or um, whatever pond shield or uh, there's so many things that possibly can be used right um you know we always look for the best and easiest thing dry lock has been a popular one just because you know it's it kind of is quick appliance and you don't have to do so much now epoxy resin although it is very very strong when it's done man it's a pain to mix and the vox on it are very strong yeah so it, it'll kill you if you did it inside you know, yeah so, if, yeah, and so. if you're off i mean this this polygem zoopoxy, it's more like a putty, and you just go yeah. 50-50. So you take part A and part B, make like a baseball size, and mix them. If yeah. you're off a little bit, it still cures. But that that um, the resin that you're talking about, man, if you screw that up by a little bit, it won't cure. And, it, yeah. it's, it, and it's, it's hard to use when it's really hot. It's like – you know the the room on it you better better have a fan going and exhaust and all that stuff like that where you know you're getting that air out if you're doing it inside and it's better to do outside right and even then the smell is really strong so you know it, that's the con to that product even if it's very strong when it's done um this this new thing now um cost wise i'd say cost roughly the same as mixing epoxy resin because epoxy is expensive in itself so with this product it's safer you know, it, it's not cheap because it is a really reliable product, but, you know, you're you're basically getting your money's worth and it's not dangerous. Well, you, you know, know when, when you when you think about the cost effectiveness and everything, um, yeah. the, the Polygem Zoopoxy is definitely about as good as you can get. It's a lot of work to do it with your hands and there's no machine that you can mix it with. Um, I've heard you can mix it with like a pizza dough mixer, but. You still have to apply it by hand, and um, yeah, it lasts. My cage is but going on. Tell me, it's fun. Though. It is like it, I mean, it's fun to do. It is it's fun. like being a kid, you know, and you're applying it. And now 
you're you're how how thick of a layer are you slapping on? There? It's it's not. I mean, okay, their recommendation is um, an eighth of an inch, and you know oh, wow. it, when you're buying it, nails. Pardon? Yeah. yeah. For monitor nails. Yeah. When when you're when you're buying it, you try to make it a lot thinner. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting pretty good with it. I probably could probably go like uh, a sixteenth of an inch. Any anything more than that, you can't. When you're texturing it and carving it, you'll yeah. carve through it, and then you can see the the, the styrofoam or whatever your base is. So you okay. got to put enough to to texture it um, right. and to carve it. But yeah, you could go a lot thinner than their recommendation. So my, what I want to do, because I've, I've looked at it a little bit, and the one thing that's been getting to me is just time, because I got, you know, some young kids, and of course, the it's animals. A it's a yeah. How old but are you? One kids? of the things, uh, six and eight. Actually, I'm here recording, but it's actually my son's eighth birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, <laughs> yeah. little dude. Happy yeah. Birthday. But yeah, if you go, when, when they're eight and ten... Man, any monkey can mix this stuff. Teach them how to mix it, yeah, and then just have them feed it to you. Uh, you know what? They're starting to help out a lot more. Um, and it's so, play doh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what I'll tell them. That's what I'll tell yeah. them. But what what I imagine, and I've been thinking about this for a while. I've I've kind of messed with the idea with some other products, but with that Polygem, is I want to make because I I use a lot of nest boxes. So I would love to sculpt out and make a um, uh, a termite mound Whoa. replica, you know, Yeah. using that stuff. And then maybe using some larger like terracotta planter boxes as the base. I don't know. It's just ideas well, I'm throwing out that's, there. That's what's nice about the, the, the poly gem. You, you can make a – you can literally – if you took a balloon and you blew a balloon up, put this poly gem over it, Waited for it to harden, pop the balloon, it's gonna stay in that shell. So you can oh, line nice. you can line the inside of wooden boxes with it. Um you, you could you know make the, the PVC type nest boxes and put it on the outside, make it look like a real log. I mean, it's you're only limited by your imagination and what you're willing to you know paint it with and you know. Right. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See now you're giving me more ideas. Yeah, you don't need so, you you don't need like you you can have like a base, and then put the poly gem over it. And if you were inclined enough to remove the base, the poly gem would stay in the form of a box or a like you were talking about a terracotta pot, which a terracotta pot is porous. So when you have moist soil in there, the outside of that pot is going to be moist as well. You're losing a little mm -hmm. moisture with that. With the polygem, on the inside of the box, you take a wet hand and you make it smooth and you could you could fill it up with water and it won't leak. And then you texture the outside. So it's great stuff, man. It really is. Like I said, whatever your imagination yeah. can th I see your, your wheels are spinning, dude. Whatever oh yeah, whatever oh, you yeah. can think of, you can do. Yeah. So like Kai has been using so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my we'll talk. We'll talk soon. Um but Kai's messing around with this uh, PVC sleeve, right? Um, where to heat his soil. I see. But so my idea that for this product or just in general that I've kind of thought is for like a heat, you, you basically build a, a PVC box or a wood box 
and you cover it in a, some type of release agent. And uh, I'm assuming that the Polygem will, will work in that way where it will release from that whatever release agent you have on their wax or yeah. oil of some sort. So with that, uh, so you have your basic box that you want to, like in my situation, build a replica of a termite mounted. So then with that release agent on there, once it dries, I can pull that out and then insert the actual nest box, which is, um, it would basically have a frame that would match, uh, or see, I don't know how to do it, but what I want to do is basically have channels running through there with enough airflow between the poly gym and the, the container so that I'm getting the look I want on the outside. And that's, uh, impervious to like spraying from the outside and stuff but that I can run maybe like heat cable or another heating element in between those channels and the, I can see that. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I, can I, I actually, that. that's, that's how my, um, my, uh, Pilbarensis, when we were talking Kai on, uh, on Facebook, whatever it was, and you, you came up with that, uh, 3d printed little sleeve for putting that thing in there. That's when I told yeah. you I was doing that, but with poly gem. So it's poly gem yeah. over it. And what I did was when I put it in there, I, I put my polygem all in there on top of the, the heat tape pad, whatever you want to call it. And then before it cured, I just pulled it out. Now I could slide mm -hmm. it down in there. And uh, so it's basically the same thing. Uh, the only thing you got to worry about is um, you got to make some type of a top for that channel because yeah. as they're kicking yeah. sand and stuff, it'll get in there. Yeah. And that's my uh, that's my only drawback so far. Yeah, so, but if if you're if you're 3D printing that little thing, can't they 3D print like a channel um, that would go in there? Yeah, so you still have to have a like a even a two millimeter hole or you know slit yeah, to slide yeah. it in, right? Dirt's gonna be that's in there. the only part. So now here's another thing: is uh, that heated the even because I have my guys make it where i have roughly i'd say a quarter to half an inch space so the heat pad can breathe inside the right. tube right or inside the sleeve because i just don't want it trapped there and i just basically start a fire right um you, know, you want it to have some breathing room and some that actually that room buffers the heat and actually makes it do what it's need, needed to do um and so with uh me applying something and, and closing it completely it actually scares me a little bit because i i need some ventilation there so i've actually left the slit open right um luckily i don't have any issues with with it yet but i actually haven't even checked so i should go check and then see maybe if, if you maybe if you made it maybe if you made it quite a bit higher than the surface of the dirt right so i'm i aimed for about because most of my soils are about 10 to 12 inches so all of the pieces are 15 inches well that should be and good. so yeah. um it's it right that's what i aim for so it sticks up above a little bit you know i can probably do something where um thinking outside the box here and thanks mike for giving me these, these examples actually <laughs> have time to think about this thing because yeah. I, I don't have time to think about everything that i'm doing right it's just <laughs> as, it goes, as it goes i'm thinking about it but what i can do is you know the 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 little the 
It's the it's the thing that hangs on the door at the bottom of the door, and it's basically yeah, a, sweep. a rubber sweeper thing, right? right? Mm-hmm. I can basically put that over the thing so it doesn't allow sand to get in right. as it's being shoved over there. But there's a little bit of space horizontal holes on the horizontal side of that right. that sweeper thing. You- so it's kind of like having a I don't know um, picture like. Yeah, it's basically a, a little rubber. It's about the size of a ruler, very flat, and it's uh, maybe there's a, a higher lip in the back of it, and it's attached to that lip, and it hangs slanted yep. at a forty-five degree angle over on that top would of work. this. And it would be part. flexible, yeah. so you could pull it in and out. You know, uh, yeah. it wouldn't be locked in. It you know, it right? Be so it'd be, a, it'd be a movable. It'd be basically be something that is allowing airflow to move out itself well with all this um, being said right now when you look at the reptile community that i've been in my whole life i've done them all snakes birds fish spiders everything when 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 i got i've always been pretty creative but when i got into monitors man this monitor community you alan me a lots of other guys dustin a lot steve sandin a lot of other guys you know, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Well, we, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of necessities with these animals and they don't really make products for us. So we've all like your, 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 um, uh, your termite mound idea, which I have a story about your termite mound idea. Great. Your flapper with the, with the channel. Great, man. And you know what? It's all usable. And if you actually like when you start when you become a millionaire selling them uh, grasshoppers, you can start manufacturing yeah, this kind of stuff. Your 3D printers and the technology. I mean, yeah. we got so much to offer, not only the reptile community, the world. I mean, think yeah. of just these few I mean, ideas we shared here tonight. You know, right. uh, of course, it's all geared towards monitors and, and animals, but somebody's going to think, oh, wow, I can do that. You know, I, and whatever switch it up for a baby crib whatever you know what i mean yeah right now as far as you know i really appreciate that we were really trying to um uh, man carry the torch for the the younger generation coming in you know we don't want to be left without and the game is changing um it's it's it it is uh, not everybody would agree but i'd say it's at its best right now um, and it, that it's ever been, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's gradually growing every year, but man, look at the stuff that we're well, able to you know, achieve if you could, in America. If you could think of back in the day, both of you guys on the King Snake forums, I was never stingy with any of my information or data or anything. I don't care. I'm going to yeah. share it with everybody. I want people to succeed. Right. I want people to succeed for the animals. But there was a time when a lot of people would not give up their secrets or you know oh, yeah. there's too many animals dying for that now though so yeah you gotta, you gotta get these females to do better than living just a year exactly you know um, and that's why uh, we try to improve what we're doing you know figure out what's working what doesn't work and how to apply it and you know we're i mean he, he goes he goes to say about inventing and you know Right. Some of it is all. Some of it's all smoke. It's all just a thought, you know. Yep. It's just you got to do it. Just 
oh man, I think I think this will work. And then you try to apply it on, on whatever tools you got laying around, and you know that's the that's the beauty of this whole shit. Yep. I mean, you know, as far as you growing as a person with your animal, absolutely. You know, and and what's nice imagine. too is is that you know you, you you're helping other people out, and then you never yeah. know who the next guy is going to come along and improve on something or tweak it a little bit and change it and just, you know, change the game. I mean, it's been going on for years, but we're we're trying to do here. Yeah. We're at a stage now where everything's advancing really good and information is being freely shared. So um, yeah, it's a good time to be in this shit. Right. I remember. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember Mike, you sharing that information I would say actually because of you, you know, I would say I was somewhere around 17, 18 when uh, around that time on the forums, I I forget when you came out with that shower stall, but from that point on, you know, everything in my world was cattle troughs. Yeah. So uh, everything was in a cattle, if it was a monitor, it was in a cattle trough. And so um, with that, you know, every time I walked into Home Depot or someplace like that, I'm now looking at the shower, like, oh, that one's, oh, that one, oh, someone returned that one. I exactly. picked that up. Where am I going to, how am I going to fit that on top of my Ford Focus back I in the turn, day? You know? I could turn anything into a cage, you know, like right. those security stalls. Yep. Like what you see at, at just regular parking stands, right? And they're standing in this little four by four by eight box. What a beautiful cage. That's a cage right? I can right now. Or better right. yet. Forget the shower stall. Show me that box that it came in in the back, you know, that yeah. storage container. <laughs> you, re- you remember a guy um, back in those days? His name was Steve Blaine. He, he spelled his name S-T-E-E-V-E. He was like a Canadian. Yes. And, yeah. and he used to always tell me, uh, he used to harp on the shower stalls and they're too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But I got this TV box. He took a TV box, a huge, like, from the council TV days, not this flat screen <laughs> shit. Yeah. And he, he painted it with, I think, probably that resin or fiberglass gel coat, something like that. And he had, yeah. well, he was doing those mountain dragons. And he had, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Cardboard boxes with, yeah. you know, painted some some uh, acrylic or whatever he put on it that's solidified. Right. Way, whatever, whatever works, man. Whatever you can do that yeah. works, you know. That's funny. As soon as you, I remember the name, but as soon as you said the mountain dragons, I was like, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I remember that guy. Yep. Man, there's a few that I, I'd love to reach out to um, from back then, but I, you know, I've, I've tried to find them, tried to look them up, but uh, seems like some people have disappeared. I had my, uh, my, my buddy back in the day, Robert Bushner, he was keeping a couple peach throats and some Argus monitors. I I uh, vaguely remember that guy's name. Yeah. Yeah. We went herping down South a couple times and running around being crazy. And uh, um, yeah, I'd love to catch up with him, but I just, I couldn't find him. So anybody that's listening, if if you still have any connections to Rob out there, uh, as far as I knew, he was in Southern California, you know, I'm looking for him. So (laughs) during the COVID, when the COVID first started, I went to a show in NRBC in Missouri and it was the last day. And um, this guy comes up to me, he goes, Hey Mike. I'm like, you know, I'm terrible with names, man. I'll, I'll remember you guys, but I'm terrible with names. He's like, Hey Mike. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? How's it going, buddy? You know, he's like, Oh, you don't remember me. I'm like, 
No, I'm sorry, I don't. He goes, well, my name is Joe from the forums. I'm like, Joe, you know, come on, there's more than one Joe. Yeah. So, I'm like, <laughs> And then he goes, you remember my dog, Gus, because I used to have an English bulldog. He had an English bulldog named Gus, and this thing's jaw looked like a cash register. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, how you doing? So that was years. I, I hadn't seen that guy in years, but he, he popped up over there in Missouri. Man, if I could only tell you guys some of the things that have popped up now from stuff in the past that are like uh, I never knew or connected the dots with, it's it, maybe we'll have a story time in the future. That's just <laughs> some just, of this uh, just talking stuff back and forth, man. So, oh yeah, the the um the nest the, the termite nest thing. Okay, I had built the shower stall and I had only a, a pair of similis. And I always put on those shower stalls, I always put the nest box um, outside of the uh, enclosure. So it's an external nest box. So on the inside, uh-huh. I had all my branches and everything in there real nice. And I took, I found this uh, at a garage sale, this big fake tree. And I was like, cool. I love it. It looks beautiful. So I, I, I didn't want the flower pot it was in, but it was it had that spray foam and then they put the branches in there and made it look like a tree. Mm-hmm. So I took it out of the flower, the, the flower pot and, and it had, I know what you're talking about. It had this the huge, foam in the yeah, it, had this, <laughs> it had this huge wad of foam. I'm like, ah, so I couldn't get it out. So I had to cut it. I cut it in half and it was perfectly flat on one side and domed on the other side. And I, at the time I was doing research on arboreal termite mounds. <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, a little bit of tweaking. I can make this look like a termite mound. So I took silicone, brown silicone, and I smeared it over the whole thing. And then I took, it almost, it was all, it almost looked like a, a bee's nest, but not symmetrical like a bee's nest. So I, I put the silicone all on it. And then I took uh, large beads of it and I just kind of made, you know, weird higher shapes on it. And I pressed cocoa mulch into it. And bored a hole through it so they can squeeze through there and get it in the nest box. And wow. when I made my Kimberly rock cage, that that little uh, rocky outcropping that's the entrance to their nest box, that was supposed yeah. to be a termite mound. I just couldn't get it right. And I said, screw it. I'm going with the crevice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I tried, yeah. but I just couldn't get it to look right. I'm, I'm hard on myself, man. Yeah. Oh man, I yeah. See, I can do that too. That's why when things are so kind of uh, industrial looking right now, it works for me because I don't have to judge myself. <laughs> well, you know what? I I don't get me wrong. I have some cages that are like, you know, I, from back in the day. I'm old school, so I just remember everybody calling them lowest common denominator. So it was just like, uh-huh. you know a basking shelf, you know, made out of whatever plywood. It didn't matter because it, it it they don't care. They just want a place yeah. where they can get under the lights. So I have some cages that are like that. I tend to use uh, my in-laws live on 187 acres in Trever was or in uh, East Troy, Wisconsin, and they had uh, miles and miles of um, oak um, mm-hmm. uh, corral boards, you know. And they they're getting older now, so they didn't. They got rid of all their horses and they dismantled the fences. And uh, I'm like, wow, that's beautiful wood. It was 50 years out in the Wisconsin weather. So it's got lichens on it. It's It's got a beautiful yeah. patina. So I use that for their shelves and stuff. And it looks nice too, but 
it's not, you know, naturalistic, but it works. Yeah. And I have some that are really naturalistic cages, and then I have others that are just useful. Yeah. I, I try to do the gamut, you know. Oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this here, but uh, I think we have a, a couple weeks before this episode will come out. But with lumber getting so expensive and everything, you know what I've been eyeballing? Because uh, Kai knows up here, but there's an area, Rancho Cordova. It's a lot of industrial complexes and type of things. So there's pallets everywhere. Yeah. I'm about to turn into one of these uh, these uh, Pinterest moms with the pallet projects. Yeah. <laughs> And start Remove picking the apart the yeah. Well, you remember you, so much out of you that. guys remember the OG um, uh, Rob Faust? Yeah, yeah. He makes all kinds of shit out of pallets. He makes like flower boxes and benches and tables. Yeah, yeah. You can he makes it. incubators out of wood. What's that? Oh man, he makes incubators out of wood. Yeah, yeah. It's a gorgeous. It looks like exactly like my hot box, but it's wood and it's gorgeous too i'm like man that's a centerpiece right there yeah yeah. yeah so it's a uh, yeah rob 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 Foss is a awesome guy i talk to him quite regularly yeah. i always bug his brain on on introductions and how to work things and you know he's, he's a great guy speaking uh, of that I, I here's another shameless plug but i know you would talked about it kai and um alan i want to put it i want to put this out there on the airwaves um, geez, I forget the date. It's, it's May of 2022. Um, uh, Rob Faust and Brian Waterloo had this idea, you know, many, many years ago, it never came to fruition. 2022 May, uh, monitor fest. It's going to be in, uh, Manuka, Illinois. It'll be a long weekend. <laughs> and man, it, like I know Kai wants to come out for a day or I don't know how you can do one day, come on out for the whole weekend. Uh, yeah. Come back and feed grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I'm the same way. I can't get away much. So, but he's right. You know, he's close to me. But you know, yeah. Just like we're having a little think tank right here, and we're coming up with ideas. That's how that weekend's going to be. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm actually if- willing to go for the day. Like, if I can land there in the morning, spend the day, and realistically, to be really good, would be to leave at nighttime. But I can leave in the morning. Yeah, you know, I just need to be back to my my get up because if I miss a day or two, that's a couple of days later on that it's some some issue. I you know what you got to do, Kai? Take it from the old timer here. You got to have some kids, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like once they, like, yeah. Once they like get it. eight or nine years old, you can go for the whole weekend. They'll feed you. I'll talk to the out. wife. Maybe. Kick one down, and uh, you just train them for a day, and you know, then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, man, I gotta just, uh, just gotta have some. I mean, it's a lot easier now because we got like, it, like the grasshoppers don't escape anymore with the new setup. Yeah, that's and nice. Like that. And um, basically, things are all hooked up good. Um, you know, all they have to do is just drop in greens. But uh, I'm a little bit more intricate with it. I, I pull out specific sizes. I'm basically shuffling grasshoppers every day Um, i feed like i feed i mean to be honest i feed several times a day but that's because i heat i heat them and feed them you know where they're running at at full capacity without dying um and that's just to keep up with customers right if i were to if i were to lack on that and you know let's say lynn's got work for eight hours i mean realistically no one's going to be feeding them for eight hours and so um that's just something that I'll basically be paying for if I have to make customers wait another week or something like that. Right. So, but to be honest, I, I, that's why you see me 
you're always seeing me up, you know, I'm basically. Uh, That's why when you said you were going to get back yeah, to me I'm in kidding. a couple hours, you didn't. I was like, man, I bet you this guy passed out. He's up all, yeah. <laughs> all night. Yeah. You got to get to everything and then rest before the podcast. Cause you know, the podcast is, uh, is definitely something I want to be sharp for. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. see, I see. I might have to take a week off a couple days out there. And then uh, unplug everything in the warehouse and road cruise the most southern highway I can get on to go straight back to California and uh, looking for, every, like you said, those North American rat snakes. I'm going to look for anything I can find between here and you. That's what oh, I want to do. <laughs> you need some time for that, though. Oh, yeah. 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 You need a lot of gas, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. See, I'm going to be renting that, that Prius. I'm a battery charge. <laughs> Fly in and fly out. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I used to love, I used to love traveling because I I used to take this Greyhound up and down the coast all the time. But man, me me sitting down for a lot, I'm just I'll, I'll feel the pain later on. Yeah, you know, oh, it, it's nice to it's nice to get on an airplane and oh. two hours later you're where you need to be. You know. Yeah, yeah, or even an hour or something like that. It's like, all right, I just flew from San Francisco to San Diego in 45 minutes. You know. Um, yeah, I love it. I love that. Let uh, me, uh, just talking about road cruise. I don't know, even know if you guys can see this. This is probably horrible. Nah, it's going to be too light. Too, I think. Yeah. Oh, I see it a little bit now. What's that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll send it to you guys. I found this, uh, I was working and driving around today. I found this, uh, squished cow king snake, right? Oh, is that the thing is, to that? <laughs> yeah, it's unreal. It is yeah. unreal. Um, so, and then I posted what they normally look like from the same road, <laughs> same area, and uh, a significant difference between the two. But I was too late, about an hour or two too late, you know. Somebody and, uh, ran that over. They should be shot. I know. So <laughs> we always dream man. of finding something a little different, you know, and then you find it squished. It's kind of like, yay, but. Uh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, but yo, anyways. Getting back to the 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 Nespin thing, I had this. Um, okay, I see it all the time. It's the it's the sprinkler box cover. Oh yeah, but yeah, the the, 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 the granite looking one, but it's plastic, right? Yeah, obviously plastic is not the ideal material we're looking on using, but we can use it as a shell. Oh yeah, I think right where where if you apply your Zupox right um, over it, Zupoxy on top of it in really thick coating, I mean it basically becomes a rock. Yep. Right. Yeah, so you, then you just have your already entry port that you're not going to cover. That'll be your, you know, maybe two, three, or however your monitor, how big your lizard is, but it'd be a diameter hole or, and maybe you have one or two, um, probably two, not as an entry hole, but the smaller hole for heat escape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that way you're thinking about, it's like uh, opening a, uh, like a can of condensed milk, you're gonna open it on two sides so that way it properly breathes and it flows through. Right. Um, you know, it's just uh, just how how you're having with heat. You always want to have some type of exhaust capability. Right. Know? That's how I'm thinking about it. And then <coughs> before I even add the zoo the zoopoxy thing, I was hoping to figure out how to maybe apply little studs or even screw in little nails like and then channel heat cable maybe around the thing right mm -hmm. i just don't know if i'm able to just apply the zoopoxy on top of the 
the the the wire. You know, I, I would have to have a. You could. The only the, thing, if you're going to do that, is you got to have a thermostat. You know, you don't want that running full out. Right. Um, right. I learned right. the hard way and with my merge cage. Like 90. Yeah. Even with my merge yeah. cage, I put um, a cane heat mat, which I've used cane heat mats forever. As a matter of fact, I have some that are over 30 years old, and I like yeah. them because they don't get up to the temperatures of these new ones. I put a new one on the side of my Merton's box, and it ran for a year, never had any problems. Then I'm down there one day, I'm waiting for a female to nest. So I'm really focused on the nest box and I'm smelling like candle wax. I'm like, man, Uh-oh. you know, well, sometimes I burn a candle in my basement and when you blow it out, you know, that smell, yeah. I'm smelling that smell. And I'm like, ah, I blew that candle out hours ago. What's that freaking smell? And I, yeah. I came upstairs and my monitor room is right below our bedroom. And I started smelling it up in my room. I'm like, holy shit, that something ain't right. So I went down there and I started sniffing around the nest box. Well, I had a, a new cane heat mat running full out against the um, the tub and the wooden wall of the enclosure. And what it did was, I don't know what those cane heat mats are made out of. It did not melt. It melted my tub. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, I had to dig, I had to dig it out, and I had this big hole in there. So I, once once I dug it out, and she was done nesting. I cut it off to where she couldn't get in there. And then I zoopoxied over the hole and um, put a thermostat on it. So I run that at like 95 degrees. So right up yeah. against the wall is like 95 degrees and then it gets cooler out. So, you know, with, with that, that's some of my hesitancy. I, there's a lot of good cage makers out there and I'm kind of in the position where I'm, I'm looking at different options, of course, because I have smaller animals getting bigger I want to rotate them in. I need more cages. But um, with the the PVC, wood's expensive, and it takes a lot of time where um, working with PVC can be a little easier sometimes. Um, but And you don't have to seal it, right? You don't have to put some protective layer on the PVC like you do with wood. But at the same time, I wish there was an option. I've, I've seen a couple, but they're a little more expensive um, that has a higher temperature um, threshold before it starts melting or off gassing, you know, cause yes, PVC works. We can adjust for that by not having the light fixture directly touch PVC, right. kind of have that insulator in between, but I would feel a lot more comfortable if I knew the plastic itself could handle, uh, I don't know, 300 degree temperatures without, you know, right. any effect. Well, you, you know, so with, like you said, with the lumber prices, I just built a bunch of enclosures and because of the lumber prices, I, of course, it puts you in a ballpark with uh, PVC sheets. So I check mm-hmm. out the PVC sheets. The, I'm sticking with wood for the simple fact that even though they're basically the same price, I know it. I, I know how yeah. the lights work with it and it doesn't burn. Mm-hmm. I don't know off PVC, like you said, with off gas, maybe right. plastic so smell. And What I did is I had a buffer in between my ceramic plate that I'm using as a socket, right, for the bowl. Right. And I basically have a half-inch plywood, very small square that would basically cover the circumference of the, the ceramic plate. And that yeah. would go in between 
um, the, the 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 plate and the and the, the PVC, and so again, um, it would again, offer the that's heat. another great idea that cage makers ain't doing. You got to make you know. Yeah, right. That's why I'm glad I'm kind of hands on, because you know, I mean, like you're me. We all right. we all understand what you're saying, but try to explain that to a, a guy who's making cages. He's like, oh, you know, he'd be right. like, oh man, that's another step, and you know, it, but we do it because we love it. You know what I mean? We yeah, cages have to flow. Right. I mean, okay. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody that's making cages as it's just a learning process and we all get to a certain level right. and we all start somewhere. But, um, you know, there's pretty cages and there are functional cages, you know, um, just downright, just right about it. And if, you know, I've seen people make a really nice enclosure and not even have a basking spot where it's supposed to be. Right. It's just some ledge off in the corner, you know, it, it just right. don't flow. Yep. It, yeah, it, that's just one example, you know, um, you know, maybe just like the tracking or the door um, or even the lip of the thing. Now, you know, people are are they know to have a litter big lip at the bottom. So right. but before lips were two inches, not even a lip. They, they were snake cages all over your floor. Well, see, you know, yeah. and, as monitor guys, we know when we take those um, snake racks and cages and you put some dirt in there. And even if it's not dirt, even even for snake guys, they get aspen bedding all in the track. It's it's a yeah. yeah so you got to have a nice yeah. litter dam. But with with, right. with my uh, lighting on my enclosures, um, what I do is I, I use three quarter inch plywood, and then I use a, I think it's about an inch and a half hole saw. I cut a hole and I mount it on top of the wood because I use the long neck uh, halogen bulbs. And I mm-hmm. threw them in there, and, you know, you don't see none of the wires or anything. You do see the light bulb, but um, I haven't burned my house down yet, so. <laughs> oh, so yeah, your, 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 socket, your socket is actually on top of the cage, and then you screw the light bulb? Oh, yeah, his in. is – it's weird. Okay, so the basically if you think about it as it's coning, the very base bef- before the metal part of the bulb sits in the – in the wood, like in the wood, it's, okay. Yeah, it's so it's actually you picture the hole, right? And yeah, then, and then the bulb goes into that, and then it connects into his, socket yeah, right okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So and then, and- I, I saw that, I was like, oh wow, okay. But you know, those floodlights don't get hot, they're not like I think if it was a ceramic bulb, it'd be a different oh, story. Oh, definitely, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it like that with a with a, like yeah. a ceramic heat emitter. No, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I wouldn't have trusted it. Can, yeah, these floodlights, they're even though they are, you know, 50, 60, 90 watts, even more, you can grasp them with your hands while they're on because they're not so blistering hot to the touch. And I right. think that's why it's it's perfectly fine for your setting right, right. there. You know? Well, you know, um, it. it what I've noticed with mine, just like you said, when you need to change a light bulb or whatever, and they're and they're you know they're still on, whatever you want to, whatever you unscrew it. The way I mount mine, if you grab that outside ridge of that bulb because it's it's like extra thick, that sucker stays hot. But if you take that, right. if you take that bulb out, the surface that's throwing light, that's hot. Yeah. The the part that goes up into my fixture it has like uh, like a reflector yeah. type material on it mm-hmm. and that's not right. nearly as hot as the face of that bulb 
Um, right. You know, my Merton's yeah. basking area on that shelf on top of my land area, that's 150. That, I mean, wow. that's 150, and they will lay there. And, you know, unlike the Indicus types, they, they ain't broken. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. Mine are, mine are uh, 125, 130 max. If it's any higher, they're not going to use yeah, it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the uh, the small guys out, the small Indo monitors out that much in the high heat. They might run through mm-hmm. it passing. They might get to, mm-hmm. like, the side of it, you know, but never right. directly under. Right. Well, as, where, as uh, long as you have a, a nice ambient temperature of, you know, 79 probably minimum, but – in the 80s, 82, yeah. they're going to bask, yeah. they're going to get what they need, and then they're going to scurry off. They're not – you don't want them to sit up under there. If, if they're sitting up under there for a long period of time, you need to check your, your you know, your ambient temperatures. And if it's too cool, yeah. that's how you burn your monitors. Yeah. Agreed, which we've seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it it it's, the, it's what happens when it's the hot bowl – and the cold area, that bull has to work much harder. Right. And it's that's what, exactly what it's doing. The beam is much stronger and it's causing those thermal burns. That's that's a, one part of it too. Um, I think another thing that I learned using bulbs over the years is me paying attention to the lumens. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the lumens on, uh, it, it basically gives you the idea of how strong the light beam is on that bulb. So uh, let's say I can have a Phillips floodlight indoor, outdoor, 45 watt, right? But they can be 550 lumens, seven something lumens, and 1300 lumens, 1500 lumens, right? Basically, that bulb is still a 45 watt bulb, but it's now a lot larger. And the focus on what it's doing is just crazier. It's just meant for long distance heat and radiate, all that stuff, right? right? And so, you know, what I would have to do is have much more space for those larger lumens bulbs, like two, sorry, like anything that's a thousand lumens or more, my distance would be like two feet or more is easy without a problem. But most of the bulbs that I'm using now, because most of my cages are only about two to three feet high, um, I, I use 350 and 500, maybe 600 lumens max. And um, like those BR30s and BR40s, which not a lot of monitor community people are using just yet. We're still in the par 38 stage, but chameleon keepers have been on this for a long time. And they're basically just a bulb that's not burning their animal. And it's right. still great to use. It's just you have to use it a little bit closer. Um, it is pretty pretty easy to, to get and all that stuff like that. They're just a soft white. Well, for, for my basking, my basking lights... I don't rely on them for like ambient lighting at all. I use them strictly for heat, but now, you know, with the increase in technology or whatever, um, some of these LEDs, man, they are bright. My, yeah, I've always been basking lights and then fluorescence for ambient light to see everything. Um, I was at Costco and they had this thing. It was, they, they called it a, a faux skylight. So you take these and you put them on your roof and the light comes through it. It looks like sunlight. It's beautiful. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let me try one of these things. So I rigged it up. I put it in my Merton's cage, turn that sucker on. I was like, holy shit. It it was like, it was like broad daylight. And, And so I go back to Costco, all gone. 
man. Yeah, I should have yeah. like four of them. I've been learning about more UV and everything myself, uh, not just since uh, we've had Ryan on to kind of explain things a little bit better for me in layman's terms because then those all that detail for UV and all the different types of UV, what's necessary, what's dangerous, things like that. I just had to learn, you know. I, I didn't know that there was all these different, you know, specifics that you would need to know. Yeah. Um, but those he, LEDs. And, yeah, he's on to UV, um, man. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I talked yeah, to him I'm, at one of the local shows here. It's called Sewer Fest. And he was telling me about the products he's launching. And, and the only reason I don't use UV. Because it works for it. Because it, you've been having it work for you right. without it, right? Right, because it works. And, and and it's not like I hear people say, oh, it's just because you're too cheap. It's, it's not that at all. It's their marketing scheme in my brain, which I got a little pea brain. But it works against them, Okay. You go buy, I don't even know what they cost because I don't look into them. You buy one of these special UV lights, okay? And by their own marketing standard, they say 18 inches and, you know, and then you got to, it, it, it loses its strength. So you got to get it closer and closer until at six months, you, you throw it away and go buy a new one. Well, dude, right. yeah, that that's nice, you know, that, that. You know, you got it laid out that way, so I keep buying light bulbs from you, and it's got nothing to do with it. If you're telling yeah, me, so you're actually speaking a lot of truth. Yeah, because right you're there. telling so me if if by your own standard, it's not, it loses its strength. I don't want that. Now, yeah, Ryan, so that's why I got a UV meter. Yeah, so yeah, I know that. I can't wait to to see your findings because I was talking with Ryan at that show. And he's telling me about the company he's starting with the UV. He's talking about UV tubes that will actually throw UV three feet. Right. Now, that's something I'm interested in. Something that I don't got to worry now, about, you know, 10 inches away. And then in three months, I got to get it close. I don't want that. You give me something yeah. that I could put three feet away and, like, use it for ambient lighting in my cage. Using right. ambient lighting and they get UVB, I'm all for it. Now I've, I've, I've talked smaller watts on a on a UV bulb. So give me 45 and 50 watts, man. That's a that's what I need right there. Yeah, low voltage. Ryan's UV. Ryan's got some stuff coming out. You know what? Maybe mm. I should. Um, I know it's launching launching pretty soon. What it's uh, that uh, Schwamberg? What is that Schwamberg, uh, yeah. show? Schwamberg. How how uh, how far off is that? Oh, that's the tw uh, it's it's the eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth of this month. So that okay, that's so here. By by the time this this airs, um, I think we'll be good because uh, I was kind of not saying things till he launched his company. But by the time this airs, we'll be good. Um, yeah, he was talking about some good stuff. So we'll have him on again. Um, but yeah, it, it throws quite a bit. And we're talking for like, I think some of his stuff is between five and 10 watts. And you're talking a massive range of UV. And they're long-lasting long -lasting bulbs. So I'm all right. for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. I'm not all for somebody telling me, I'm going to pull $50 out of your pocket every right. six months. You know. Now, uh, with the UV meter, right? So my friend... I, I, you know, I'm only really, I'm not just taking information from just anybody. Right. There's a lot of people with a lot of opinions, you know, um, and I really have to go with, don't get me wrong. I just don't want them to, 
to to tell me what I want to hear. It's more so he has um, he has a meter and he uses it often. And he tests different bulbs for birds, for chameleons, for all different types of animals. And essentially, he you know he definitely believes in the UV affecting many different aspects of the animal's life. And so, absolutely, um, I'm definitely you know, rooting for him. I I would love a nice UV light. No, no. Well, what what I mean is, before the the saving of money, like how you're saying, save yourself fifty bucks, because even though they say and they market you got to change it every six to nine months, some of the bulbs were still great a year or two later. Yeah, and you know, it was just a marketing scheme to just get you a buyer. That's what I'm year. saying. By their own marketing um, scheme, I was out. So right. Yeah. So you know, to to basically put your Usage of bulb better, you know, full full length usage to figure out when it's really bad and everything like that. I got myself a UV meter. Um, I got it from Josh's Frogs. Hopefully, they, it'll come within a week or so. I got some Arcadia bulbs that are seven percent and and shade dweller stuff. So they're meant for dense forest jungle and basically lower UV uh, needs for certain for the type of animals that I have which are basically dense jungle monitor lizards. And so they're not just out in the open, say like Flavarufus or sand monitors, which probably a lot more sunlight, right? And so um, I want to make sure that the UV usage that I'm using for my animals essentially are in the right index and they're not gonna burn my animals' eyes or burn their skin from being UV UV burned, because that can happen. Right. And basically that, have, that just leaves a bunch of black specks all over your animal from the burn right and, um, and i'm not knocking i'm not knocking any of that but in the same breath when you say okay take for take for example spencer's kimberly rocks Kobaras, any of these animals okay especially like a spencer's man that sucker ain't sitting on the surface you know what i mean yeah he's you know people people think you know it's like that song i've been through the desert on a horse with no name and all that crap well <laughs> underground is a whole new habitat it's a whole new it's a sea of life right and they go there mm -hmm. to escape extreme uvb yeah. exposure uva exposure mm -hmm. so you, it's kind of a balancing act you, you know depending on right. like you said depending on the species they're not all just sitting out in the sunlight they you know some of it is just too intense and they flee from right. it under a rock under a leaf under a tree in the ground whatever so you know full exposure is not necessarily good either so yeah i guess they have what i meant was like uh, they have like desert tide right. and they have the uh, strength like of uv Twelve or yeah the strength in uv right and, and yeah. even only use um, it for certain hours throughout a day i mean because right. right. so you're on all uh, day you know Right. My, I think mine are only on like uh, 10 hours right now that I've just hooked them up. Uh, most of my UV lights come on uh, sooner than the floodlights, and then they go off a little bit sooner as well. Where um, basically I basically off from the floodlights. Where I do use UV, I use it in only a, a handful of setups with the rest not using it. But where I do use it, the, the animals actually have the choice of basking with a heat in UV or with just heat. And um, unfortunately, they're in the, the small indoor dwarf cages for the most part. So 
I don't get to see them anyway. They, you know, they come do yeah. their thing and they're gone by the time I, I peek my head in there. What are you talking um, about? Offenberg guy and Timorensis, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those guys. So, um, uh, for the most yeah, part, it's in there. And, but you know what, you know, what really, really keyed me into actually, um, hearing out Ryan on, a, on things was a phone call, um, where I said, Hey, you know, there's, there's always been these two camps on, on UV and I'm not, as soon as I try to talk about it and get some more information, because I'm very, I am very critical in the way I think, because if I see, okay, my setup works and what I'm doing works and I'm not using it here. So I know that is as a proven for me, tell me something without, you know, the online argument of things that I've been running into. And he goes, you know, this is what got me. He goes, the honest truth is for the most part, monitors don't need it. And I said, okay, now, now let's, let's talk. And he's, then he goes into what the added benefits of UVB and UVA to your animal are and what we don't see and how, yes, it's been proven, but he's going to show more of it. And for some animals, it's absolutely necessary. But I think we got we got kind of put into all of us got put into the iguana reality of things where they it's obvious these animals need it. Right. But it's not the same across the board or it's not the same as in it's either yes or no. It's and we start talking about a gradient and how you use it and appropriate times to use it. Yeah, I'm definitely and that I get behind. I'm definitely picking right. up what you're putting down there. Like like I said. Yeah. UVA, UVB, that's great. If they had a nice bulb that threw a lot right. more distance, and then I would put that on a timer. Like, I don't really know because I don't use it, but in my brain, I'm thinking two, three hours and then have it turn off the next day. Yep. Three hours and then having to turn off. Because, like I said, if you keep it burning 12 hours a day, he got no choice but to either sit in it or run away from it. So right. I would prefer to have these light bulbs like Ryan's talking about. And trust me, I'm a big cheerleader for him. I hope, I hope he does this. I, I, I hope oh, yeah. he can. And I think he will. I really honestly believe he can do this. Um, uh, like I say, just to give him little shots of it, not all mm-hmm. the time shots of it. You know what I mean? Especially and the kind he's talking like- about. Just to speak about what, what Mike's were kind of also relating to is, um, you know, some some young keepers that are going to listen to this. Uh, what we want you to understand is monitors basically don't bask all day because they shouldn't be. Right. That, that'd be um, improper to how they basically normally go throughout the day. If you're spending time sitting there cooking, you're also dehydrating, but you're not hunting and you're not eating. You're just you're just wasting time. And so if, if anything. For example, um, sure, monitors in the wild, they love to morning bask, right? Or do some scrupulous basking, but morning basking is very popular. And so you'll see animals come in right as the sun peaks. And so, you know, animals are soaking up the sun and it may take longer because they're starting at a, at, at, at a slightly cooler temperature. It's still warm where they're from, but, you know, it's not just like as it's cooking already. So it mm-hmm. gradually grows up in temperature and, but monitors are really probably only basking for a very short time. Now in captivity, my guys can bask for 20 minutes and get right to going. That's it. Get right to going. So then they're hanging out in the shade 
they're hanging out in the other ledges that I made in the 80 and 90 degree mark, or even where it is hot, like 100 degrees, but they're out of the sun and they're out of the light. They're basically not basking. So I see my guys when it's 120 and 130 surface temperature and the ambience are good 90s and 100 there. Uh, they, they utilize it quick. They don't, sometimes they don't even need to bask. I just start feeding them and then they go take care of the basking for an hour and then, yeah. you know, yep. that's it. You know, when, when I think, so what I see in a lot of, uh, uses is, uh, people want the biggest UV bulb, you know, fluorescent tube that can span the, um, most area in their enclosure. And I just, I think that's. Maybe the, the it's a lot. It's it's maybe yeah. in my opinion, okay, it's the wrong approach. And like Mike, we said, uh, Kai, we've been talking about is are, your animals are smart, okay? If they need it and you give it to them at a certain time of the day, they're gonna figure out what time of the day it's gonna be on. And, and let's don't want don't shortchange your monitor, right? Right. Yeah. Don't shortchange them. Don't shortchange their intelligence because they know when you're gonna be in the room and not. And they know yeah. when they're going to come out and do their their cool stuff and have a party when you're not looking if they're yeah. shy monitors, and, and or when you're going to be in there, you know. You know, as as far as like the 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 spreading the whole light across the entire enclosure, you know, I, I think it's good to have it in the right spots and you know proportionally with some of the enclosure. Like I just don't have it stretched across the whole thing. It's only right where the basking bulbs are mostly. But mm -hmm. the rest of the enclosure can get a little bit dark. Now, my cages are mostly painted white. So as the light hits, it just reflects off of everything. And then, you know, the, it, it, it's bright itself. Um, right. Now, you know, I, I want to basically not just choose one side of this. I, I have to utilize this, but still make my monitors comfortable. So essentially what I, I have is the shelves that I'm using as basking spots and ledges, they basically cover the lamps. And mm -hmm. so as the lamps are having their ambient light flow through the cage and the heat flow through the cage, the bottom underneath all that is dark. And so this is where they get to escape all that. Yep. The, the heat is actually a lot. It's drastically much cooler just because heat and light doesn't get to there at all. It's just like you, um, closing the blinds, shutting the windows in your room and having it dark. It's just naturally going to be cooler. And so uh, my animals are utilizing that. Now I just added these UV lights. Don't get me wrong. I like them, but I don't like how bright they are. Some of them are a little yeah. bit too bright, right? I have, yeah. I like the shade dweller because it's- Are they, are they tubes, Kai, or are they incandescent? I have both. So, now, so this is where I was just getting okay. to. The shade dweller, shade dweller tube that I got from Arcadia. Now these are highly rated bulbs, probably the number one leading UV within the company, the, the industry currently. Uh, I mean, there are a couple others, but this one is highly recommended with just just many features in this UV on on, on the UV spectrum for many different reptiles, and the understanding has been put out there. So you know, I, I went with these 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 um this product and these bulbs just because they were highly recommended and for my type of animal the i got the shade dweller which is an actual uv tube um that one i actually love don't, don't get me wrong i'm not putting any um, shame to that one at all i'm actually going to get more of those i bought two of the compact one because i thought they were going to be better but i also liked the fact that i could just screw them into a socket right yeah. mm -hmm. 
I'm not going to diss them yet until I get my UV meter and I actually measure it. But when I hooked those bulbs in, man, they were so bright. Like it actually hurts my eyes to just walk in that room right now because I'm not used to the light. And I wonder if my monitors are going to be affected the same way. Hmm. Um, now, I've only been having and hooked up the lights for a day or two. So I don't really know just yet on results or anything like that or any type of bad behavior. But I caught one of them right underneath it this morning. So, you know, instead of basking um, and I was like, all right, it's not that bad. It's you're not, you know, you, you're not that right. Like as far as scared of the light or something like that. Now, is that, throwing, is that bulb, the one you're talking about right now, is that throwing heat? It's a, a little bit of heat. It's a, it's a 20 watt bulb as well. Okay. So it's the UV on it is, is quite strong. Um, the UV a on it is quite strong. The UVB on it is 7%. So it should only take the index up to about two and a half ish. But I think it can get to three if you're really close within proximity. Um, now, now that when I say these numbers, it's when you get a, I don't even have it yet, but I've been studying it. So <laughs> you basically are going to be um, as you're, you know, underneath the bulb trying to measure how strong it is it'll show you a number on how the strength is and then you kind of measure it on a chart on what you need for your animal. Say if it's uh, a, 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 um, it's a shade dweller or a heavy, dense jungle animal where it's not going to get a lot of light, um, you're, you're, you're looking at a certain UV index where you want to be, which is one and two and a half, something like that. But for animals that are, you know, where they're from, the natural range isn't, so covered in dense jungle and there is a lot of exposure you you know you kind of want to go are you talking about the the ferguson zone is that what you're referring to that's that's exactly sorry so i I don't even know what it's called i'm not i'm not even there yet and so you know i just want to be able to be um just like that be able to understand everything that i need to know about using uv right so i bought the bulb and i thought they were going to be just 100 perfect plug-in but they're not so i have to um, I mean, they, they, they plug in and they work well, but the, the, how the light shines, I want to make sure that it's the right, uh, I guess, ambient light being used within UV and all that stuff like that. Not blinding my monitors, not burning my monitors with over usage of UV or something like that, or too much close exposure. You know what I mean? Right. That's why, that's to- why with my train of thought with the whole UVA, UVB thing is, Something that could be something that could throw a further distance. You know what I'm saying? Like, and of course, I don't know you. You're talking about Arcadia's. I know this is all newer stuff. I'm talking the old school UVB that probably wasn't even UVB. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, now, now look at you. You got the meter, and it's more common for just a, a regular hobbyist to, to have a meter and actually check their shit you know what i mean yeah and, yeah, and right. see so what with the way ryan was describing it to me that he can because like my big walk-in enclosure he was using for example that i could put that up where my fluorescent light is and it's going to throw uv clean you know three feet away three four feet away i'm all for that because i and like right. i say i would run that for you know, uh, a few hours and then turn it off, you know, have it turn off with a timer on, off, on, off. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because right. of the exposure thing. But 
like, I mean, you talk about going back to the old days with, you know, I remember when I first started, it was like uh, basking temperatures were, you know, a hundred and, and, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and then you'd hear guys like Frank saying, you know, 140, 130. And it's like, well, damn, you know, but then if you remember the temperature guns started coming out and you could actually go yeah. outside in the full sun <laughs> and hit a rock with that thing and realize, oh, that's way over 150 degrees. The, the, right. The, the, hobby, the hobby now is so lucky. Yep. You have people making new temp guns, right? And, you know, COVID has also spread the, the fact that people buying their own temperature gun to measure people as they go into their their stores and stuff like that. So it's more available to you anywhere now. But before they weren't, I had to go to Pet Boys and pay 80 bucks for a car temperature gun that measures right. motors. Right. And I, it would measure someone's motor because you're you're testing it as you're running and making sure it's not too hot. And I had to pay a hundred bucks every single time. You know, like you guys are lucky that you're paying $25. <laughs> yeah, I remember right. I remember the, the they were they looked like like a, almost like a teaser yeah. gun that the cops had. Yeah. And a huge tool. Yeah. Do you remember when Pro yeah. Exotics came out with that little tiny one? It was like a. Oh, yeah. 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 That was the first one. That was the first one in the hobby, yeah. just like yeah. that, where, you know, and uh, reliability, those were those were good ones. And, you know, um, I, I myself have always been the gun type of person where it's got to have the whole laser and it's got to right. have the little chart on it. I'm not too trusty of the little tiny handheld ones. Don't get me wrong. I've tested them, but I just I'm not I, I'm not cool with the little dinky plastic things supposed to be measuring temperature. I think I need from better way back in the day. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the one the the original one that I got back in the the late '90s, middle '90s, whatever it was, was uh, I think it was called Raytech. I'm not sure. Don't quote. Me yeah, I think you're right. And, yeah, and it was yeah. for it was for. I worked with a guy and he was really into those um, like slot cars and in the remote control cars. And they would like, after running it for so long, they would check the bearings because they didn't want to fry their bearings out. I'm like, Oh shit, let me, you know, I could probably try that. So I use that. But now, like you say, they're for your forehead. They're for, you know, know, cake, you know, anything. I mean, I, okay. So um, I, I use, uh, I make, uh, I make, I'm, I'm not going to even lie. I just make gummies. You know, I make, I, know. And and I got to melt stuff down. <laughs> right. And so when my lady's trying to figure out what temperature it is, I can literally pull out my thing and just <laughs> hit the bowl. Oh, like, yo, this is what the temperature is. Yeah. We don't need to measure it. Cause uh, we already know, you know? And so, you know, just, uh, that whole usage and knowing yeah. that thing your lady, like, your lady looks at you and says, Honey, you're a genius. <laughs> some more gummies. I tell you, you talk about gummies. My um, my wife, my wife has a, a girl who works for her, and um, you know, I used to get high a lot, but I don't really anymore. And um, she made these cookies, and my daughter was graduating from eighth grade, whatever it was, and I was like, yeah, I'll just eat like a half a cookie. So I, I started eating half the cookie and I was watching TV. And before I know it, I'm like, wow, this is the last bite. I ate that cookie. Boy, oh, my gosh. I was all over the place, man. I was, <laughs> in, the, I was in the, the graduation all paranoid thinking everybody's looking at me. 
<laughs> yeah, man. They all know. <laughs> They're a total, it's a, I thought it was the, an old the, the, the body, cookie, man. Uh, man, the body feel is totally different. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I man, temperature guns is, uh, man, these people are so lucky yeah. to get every so many lines of, of, of temperature guns now. And, and now, you're, man, going, just yeah. now you're going with a UV meter, which is great. I'm glad you're doing that because I can't wait to hear yeah, the next results. Result. Next is the ultrasound. The ultrasound right. is next. So I, I got a lot of guesswork and sure, some things are evident when, you know, I, I see animal looks like it's going through possible vitiligenesis or, you know, whatever, if she's uh, having follicles or even if she's got eggs, right? Um, or even to, to, to even to look at, um, uh, even to look at the, those hemipenal bones that yeah. you're looking for right when you're x-raying um i can do all this with the ultrasound if i get it once i once i do yeah. basically just saving saving up for it to bite at the right time but but you know i'm always guessing and i'm just assuming and i want to take that work out of it where i don't have to do that and and really um no pinpoint all right sure i'm, I'm looking at follicles and I myself, I'm not uh, totally academically trained on, you know, uh, the anatomy of an animal, you know, and um, I I know somewhat, and I've been kind of studying it a little bit on knowing where to look on the body, you know, by the kidney and stuff like that. But um, I'm I'm I would have to see it on the scan first to then realize, all right, if that's it. If that's not it, hopefully I can see, and then I know when to put in a female. Right. That's where the guesswork is is taken out for you, you know, all right, she's, she's cycling and this is the beginning part, plop them in, you know? Um, and so I'm, you know, when I come to look at my animal signs and they're showing me these, these characteristics of, of all the stages of, you know, reproduction, right? Um, I myself, I'm always just like, all right, man, she looks like she can be throwing eggs, but she didn't go through any of the stuff before. So she's probably going through vitiligenesis right now, right? But then she'll get to the part where she's gravid, and then I know she's bloated as heck, but it's it's not that stage anymore. And now the tails, you know, all this is now easy to read because it all makes sense to me. I've been used to this now. Right. But the prior steps, the actual beginning, is the hardest part for me to understand. Where I'm waiting for um, Croc Docs. Uh, David Kirshner's next episode on actually the the ovulating part. I want to. I, I still do not understand this till today. Even though I'm having great success and all this stuff like that, I'm plugging and playing safely as I could. But to know pinpoint on when it's actually ovulating and when it's going through vitiligenesis and the site, all these are different and they're all different stages, right, Mike? Yep. Um, yeah, and so yep, you know, like like for example, I know exactly what you're talking about. Just this last uh, over the past two weeks, now I put my, uh, you know, with the pass through like you just built on your cages. Um, I had my male was doing a lot of nosing into the 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 grid, uh, the the cutoff or the pass through, whatever you want to call it, and so I let them in and they. They, they locked up a couple of times, and uh, so I, I cut him out again. I, I lured him into his cage and closed the door, and she was blown up. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. She's grabbing that took. It was only a couple of lockups. So, um, you know, I'm. it's been a week, and I, I'm and waiting. Stop prematurely, right? Yeah. Is that what well, you're Well, here's, here's how yeah. I figured it out. She was all big and swollen, and I thought for sure she was grabbing it. took a little, like I said, about a week. So yeah. I was just, you know, I had them cut out. I'm waiting for her to nest. And she did a little digging, not much, not like usual. But she started nosing through the cutoff for him. And then they're both like this. I'm like, oh, I probably missed it. So I undid the thing and I opened the gate. And actually she went into his cage and they've been copulating for like two days now. So. She wasn't grabbing. Right, so, she was probably just cycling, and now she, and now she's getting. That's where it's very tricky for me. Still, it's not just that I don't see all my I see my animals all the time. They're very lean, and so it's uh, I, I try to keep them lean so they are easily to tell when they're bloated, right? right. And, and that, that whole bloating up look. Um, fat animals, it's just harder to tell. And that's actually, it's actually dangerous to be breeding too many fat animals. So, you know, you want to lean them down a little bit, but um, yeah, it's just really hard for me to differentiate the timing. And I've actually gotten it where I essentially missed or more so of missed would be late, but I actually shot premature and then they're going to lock. I mean, not only can they just lock up anytime randomly because the male is going to want to dominate or whatever, right? That's just on a, on a, any type of occasion, but they're the male. I think as the female is going through all these stages, she's just letting off all these smells yep. and he's going to mm-hmm. try to lock up anytime in between this. Right. And I, and that may be why monitors lock up so many times is because between the, the beginning, I mean, and it's, is it vitiligenesis and then ovulating Mike, or is it ovulating and then vitiligenesis? Uh, you know what? I let my monitors tell me. I don't know what. I'll be honest <laughs> yep. with you. I don't know what's going on in their in their bodies, but I could tell you that's pretty much. I the only thing I separate is my coming eye, and the only reason I separate my coming eye is if I didn't, my male would be too big and fat. He'd steal all her food. But I'm. I what I mean to say by this is with your pass through now. Of course, you're going to get your your uh, the ultrasound, and that's great. You'll learn a lot from that. But that that simple thing, your little pass through gate, you're, yeah, it's my yeah. They're it's my they're going to tell you, you know, like today um, or last about a week ago when they were doing that in the cage. I'm like, ah, shit. I'll, I'll bet you I missed. I opened that gate. She went in there, and when she went into his cage. She had this look on her face like, oh, shit, maybe I asked the wrong thing because he was all over her. And they, like, they've been locked up for a couple of days now. And uh, nice. And I would have missed. I would have missed if it wasn't for that pass through because uh, my my reading her body size. Yeah. Now, see, uh, same same thing with me with my introduction. I, I call it the reassurance wall because it's for me. It's really protecting my 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 pain and because dude, I have monitors attacking each other every day, and um, it's 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 painful because you know the you got to yeah really deal with uh, wounds and man, I spent the whole last year just treating people's wounds or treating animals' wounds, man, making sure that they were um, healing up well, antibiotics if they needed it, things like that, 
silver cream. But um, yeah, that pass through right now. Um, I, I you saw the example videos that I was showing where I had quite a, a sequence of videos that I record right. every single time they showed me something new, right? And so the very new thing was it's just speed. At first, it was really jerky, right? Like he's trying to attack her, trying to basically get through the other side, and that's the wrong reading that you know, right. you're not trying. And to, then it became more controlled. Yeah. Where and so he's he had a purpose. Right. And so he's so crazy and he was just trying to get to the other side, even biting as she got closer. So I was like, okay, that's not, that's not what wow. I want. And people were telling me, you know, you're going to see it. And I was like, bro, what the, what the hell? We'll see what, you know? Yep. And so um, I kept on paying attention to behavior and I was like, all right, it's got to be super subtle. I got to pay attention to this. I'm going to sit in the room, watch this stuff on how it's supposed to go. And day by day, they would get used to each other more and more. She would be right in his grill, and I think she was going through the whole thing too, as far as you know, either ovulating or going through vitiligenesis, right? And just the beginning stages of it. And then on another day passing, I can just see him tongue flicking more. His head twitching was a lot more like how it is with just good breeding right. when it's off. And so that's exactly what I was doing. Is all right, man. This is this is. This is what I think I'm, I'm looking for. He's not biting her through the thing. She's close. You know, he's 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 calm. He's not all sporadic when I'm in there now. And so I just picked him up and just put him at the front of her cage. And he just walked right in and they did their thing, man. And they've been at oh, it for the so last six days. Before, before you made your, your pass-through is what I call it. Yeah. Uh, before you made that pass-through, you would actually take your male from one cage and put it into the female's cage. Yeah, I mean, I do a bit more than that. I, I do soaking and I play with them together. They just they, they just get like a natural feel of each other first, right? Uh, even without the enclosure. So it's like neutral zone, somewhere they haven't claimed. I'll soak them together. I'll play with them together. They'll kind of get a feel of each other. Um, I do certain things that are also very specific where I'll take fecal matter from each of their cages and swap it, right? So they are used to each other's smell. I'll even smear it on their favorite basket spot or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it is really just manipulating the whole scenario where it's, she's in the cage, but she's not in the right. cage. So we kind of have to get used to the smell. Um, and then I'll trade furniture sometimes, things like that, you know, just to just get the smell in there, not to freak them out so much. Um, and so, you know, I would do the mutual zoning and all that stuff like that prior. Um, but even then he would still run and chase her down. And it's because the first introduction, the initial five, ten, an hour, one day, but maybe even the week, is frantic as shit. Like, they're just, man, he's in my zone. What is he doing here? You know, like, I'm mm -hmm. going to kill him. He gets to the nest bin. And then he's scared. So in defense, he's basically protecting himself as well. Um, and I had to learn all this through letting them do their thing. Yep. <laughs> and a whole lot of super glue. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of silver cream going. I paid thousands of dollars going to the vet and getting medicine and going after time and time again, yeah. making sure that they're okay. I've learned how to do things and give injections. Not me. My lady is my Lynn back here is responsible for giving my injections to my monitor. She's just as a monitor keeper as me. Man. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You know, and she's my solid rock. Um, 
And as far as, uh, you know, just hooking things up with how I need them to be on, on my animals and sacrificing what I'm trying to put into it to just make, make it, you know, make it happen for them, you know, um, is, it's Guys, crazy, we, we're it's getting some good stuff, but I got to get to a, a birthday party. <laughs> no, no worries. It's a, Two and a half hours. I, I actually just, uh, I, th I thought it was great as well. And, you know, don't get me wrong. It's getting late for Mike as well. Um, we're, we're, we're at a, we're at a great show. Uh, we can always do a part two. And I would love that. Cause I mean, and yeah, you're talking I about, had, I, had, I had a whole lot more because me and me and Mike and you can cover so much. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I, I, and you guys were just touching on that yeah. the behavior, the separations, the partitions. I mean, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. yeah, I want to talk incubator stuff too yeah. because me and Mike yeah. have lost a lot in the last year alone. Yeah. I mean, just the just the pain and just the learning itself. You know, the, the things going going the distance and then not. But uh, but yeah, man. Um, I hope well, you have a great time at your birthday party. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to cut it short, guys. Man, I feel horrible because I know there's those hey. topics floating out yeah, there. Yeah, man. But, we, uh, we, could, we could do it again. We could go because we're kind of segueing into. Uh, uh, a few things that I wanted to talk about with um, my Mertens. Um, I, I, we could get into it again about um, pheromones yeah. and smelling and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, you, you got the ultrasound coming, the UV meters, the heat guns. One day they're going to come up with a pheromone meter where we could read the pheromones. Yeah. So yep. yeah. This is going to get better and better, but um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, when I, well, we'll we'll touch base on we'll touch base on episode two. I don't want to give people any more. That sounds good. Um, that way, that <laughs> way the recording can be uh, right. great, great for Eric and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so good. Hey, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Um, hey, Mike, one thing we I, love you, man. Thank yeah, you. I love you guys too, man. I just want to say something before we get we go here. Anybody, I don't care if you got a leopard gecko, man. Join US Arc. Uh, we need you. Yeah. These. People are coming after us for our animals. And if you think your dogs and cats and birds and fish are safe, when they get done with us, they're coming after everything. Join U.S. ARC. They fight the good fight for us. Um, and, again, thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time. It's always great talking to you guys. And uh, I'll see you on the forums and stuff. So uh, we'll be in touch. I'll see you later, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike. Hey, have a great night. Thank you very much for coming yeah, on. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Take care, guys. All right, till next time. Guys, thank you for listening. And, again, we're going to wrap it up a little quicker, but go on to that website, uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com, and check it out. Check out those other podcasts they got available to you. Uh, like Mike said, join US Arc and uh, check out the uh, Patreon on NPR and uh, help out if you, if you feel so inclined. So. All right, you guys, have a good one. All right. Thank you, guys. God bless, right, man. Mike. Talk to you later. All right, see you later, Mike. Bye now.